Hello and welcome to part three of this three-part special of the Peter Greenwood Show Roundup of 2018. If you missed the first two parts, you missed from January until April and from May until August. But this is now into the month of September. And before we get into this week's... And before we get into this part, what I would like to remind you is, is that this is part three as I just said, like, literally 26 seconds ago. But, you've been listening to me for two episodes, and bless you for that. I'll never be able to thank you enough. Your check is in the mail. And I don't know about you, but I am sick to my hind teeth of listening to myself. So, what I've done is I've tapped into the multiverse, the, uh, the many Peters out there, and popping out throughout the show, there are going to be many different Peters. So keep your ears peeled for that. Let me know which Peter is your favourite. Please, feel free to get in touch. So, with September brings the anniversary of the September 11th attacks in America. And this is a piece of audio I put together to commemorate the attacks. And this is real, this isn't a joke. This is just something I thought was nice and something I wanted to do to pay tribute to the people affected by the attacks. The concert's not answering. Somebody's stabbed in business class. That we can't breathe, I think we're getting hijacked. We have some planes, just stay quiet and you'll be okay. We are turning to the airport. American 11, are you trying to call? Nobody move, everything will be okay. Just stay quiet. There's three guys, they've hijacked the plane. I'm trying to be calm. I hope to be able to see your face again, baby. I love you. Uh, as I understand it, another smaller group of people stole some airplanes and crashed them into buildings. And, and we're told that they were uh, zealots uh, fueled by religious fervor. And if you live to be a thousand years old, will that make any sense to you? Will that make any goddamn sense? Any fool can blow something up. Any fool can destroy. But to see these guys with buckets rebuilding, that's extraordinary. We're going to rebuild. We're not only going to rebuild, we're going to come out of this stronger than we were before. I can hear you, the rest of the world hears you, and the people who knock these buildings down will hear all of us. Oh, say and you see, by the dawn's early night, what's up?
September also brought us a lovely guest. Her name is Orla Gartland, and she had a new single, I Go Crazy. And she's also touring later next year, and maybe I'll be seeing her again. I don't know. I can't tell you yet. But that's what I do now. That's all I can tell you. I don't know. So this is my interview with Orla Garland. Take a listen. Hi there. Hi, is that Peter? It is indeed. Is this Orla? It is, yes. Hey, how are you? I'm so sorry. I was just about to call you because I was I was like, oh, it's not fair that's that... Okay. It's not fair that you should call me. It's me that asked you on the show. I don't want to waste your phone bill. Oh, no, it's okay. I don't think it cost me. Don't worry. Oh, very kind. How are you today? Are you well? Yeah, not too bad, thanks. Just at home in Dublin. Oh, that's good. Is it nice today? Is it nice out today? It is, yeah. It was a bit patchy and gross this morning, but it's gotten better throughout the day, so it's kind of nice, nice now. Yeah, we can't have the same weather here in Scotland. It's just kind of grey and murky and manky. Yeah, quite temperamental. Yeah, but which is what what's to be expected from this time of year. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, first of all, thank you very much for agreeing to do this. Uh, it's really, really kind of you. I really appreciate it. So we're just going to... No worries. A bit of a quick chat. We'll just discuss your musical background, the single I Go Crazy and plans for the future and stuff like that. Perfect. Wonderful. So I'll just do a quick interview as if we're coming out of a song and then we'll... A quick interview? No, what's the word I'm searching for? Link, that's what I'm searching for. A quick introduction. No worries. Are you able to record from the phone call then? You don't need me to do anything. Yep, yep. This is all recording. It's all going right now. Fantastic. Which makes it so much easier because I used to have to go into the station to do pre-recorded interviews. And now, oh, God, what a faff. Yeah, now I can just do it at, at home so it's so much easier. So I'm just getting nice. some final levels ready and whatnot, and then we will begin. Is that okay? Yeah, no worries. you want me to keep talking? Is that helpful or unhelpful? That is very helpful, and we've just gotten it right there. So I think we're good to go. Are you ready? Well done. Yes. Teamwork makes for dream work. <laughs> nice. Right, okay. This is the Peter Greenwood Show, and I am so excited for everybody to meet my next guest. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Orla Garland. Hello, Orla. Hello. How are hey, you? Peter. How are you today? You well? I'm good, thank you. I'm coming at you from a surprisingly sunny Dublin. Oh, that's fantastic, isn't it? It's nice to have a, it's good. Nice to have a good wee sunny day. Have you been busy today? Not too busy. A nice kind of busy. I've been with family because I'm off to the States for a couple of weeks. I thought I'd come home and just see them. Um, my last chance in a while. So I've just been with family, eating a lot of food. See, that makes sense. Because you said you were waiting on something, and I'm like, ooh, I wonder where she's off to. But now I know. And knowing is half the battle. Oh, yes. No, I've been waiting for my visa to come through. How boring. I know. Right? Paperwork. These, these, official, these official people, you know. There is, I know. Hard country to get into. I know, right? There's so much I I want to speak to you about. We've got the single I Go Crazy to begin to begin with. There's so much we have to go through. But let's start more kind of at the beginning of your musical origins. Where where did you decide you wanted to be a be a songwriter and tell us your story? Yeah, well my first sort of brief brush at music is probably when I was about four or five. I'm the oldest of three kids and Neither of my parents are particularly musical, but they were quite keen for me to be. So my mom just like brought me into a music shop and was like, pick anything you like and we'll get you lessons. 
and I was like really adamant that I wanted to play the violin. I that's you held it like a guitar. <laughs> I know. Um, and it's a quite an annoying. Um, it's a, for, uh, my parents are very good to give into it because it's quite quite an annoying instrument to play. You have to keep getting different sizes as they as they get bigger. <laughs> Yeah, so I, I had I no, I, I had no idea you had to get different sizes of violin. I thought it was violin yeah, size. No, well, well, if you're like, well, that's like a full size violin is what you'd know. But they do like a quarter size and the half size and three quarter size. So if you're a child and you play, you have to get a smaller one. Otherwise, they just don't fit under your chin. Oh, so kind kind of like ukuleles then. Well, this is it. I think in hindsight, I got confused and thought that they were ukuleles because I remember, <laughs> I remember going to. I, I learned, rather than classical violin, I learned, like, Irish trad. I remember going into my first lesson and kind of holding it like a guitar, and she was like, no, no, you put it under your chin, and I was, like, bawling, crying. <laughs> but we had committed. We committed at that point, so I played the violin for, like, seven years. And then, yeah, about 12, about 12, 15, I think I, I think I just developed a bit of an obsession with pop music, like everyone has at that age, but I kind of wasn't just content with listening to it. I really wanted to be able to play it. And so something like piano or guitar just made a bit more sense. So, yeah, I self-taught myself guitar. And, yeah, that's that's been it. And I don't think... I mean, I probably started writing songs about 14, 15, but I'm not sure there's, like... Yeah, I, I can't think of an actual time where I went, I definitely want to be a songwriter. sort of rolled from one year of it into another. And even when you're that age, you're writing songs, but you're not. You know, you're not imagining yourself being a songwriter as a job. It's just all very abstract at that age. So you're kind of just feeling it out, I guess. Yeah, you're just kind of doing it at that point, almost like writing poetry or something, where it's like, okay, this is a thing that I am doing, where you just don't know where it's going. Because I have absolutely no musical talent at all. I say this every time, (laughs) but I have no musical talent. So I just admire the heck out of people who do. And it just... How do you write a song? What was the process like when you began? How has it changed as you've grown? Yeah, I mean, I still like to think it still works off a certain amount of kind of instinct, Um, especially at the beginning. There's no, I mean, there's never really a formula, but you do develop a way. Um, At first, I was just writing songs that had absolutely no structure. There were just kind of endless verses on and on and on. Usually with like two chords and then you go and you learn a few more chords and then you go three and then four. So it's kind of like quite natural in that sense. Um, and even now I try not to stick to a formula. I'm kind of finding myself with writing the last few years of trying to put myself in situations where I am restricted. Like I don't really play piano, but I'm trying to write more on piano because I play like silly keys that my hands are crossed over, but there's like also a certain kind of like childlike naivety to me playing keys that I think is really good for writing whereas when you get used to something like guitar you find yourself going to the same chords all the time and it can become quite re- you know repetitive so always a certain amount of instinct but now i'm finding myself weirdly in situations where i'm try- like purposely trying to do it in different ways so you were writing all this song all these songs and all this music and then a website called youtube came along how did you decide to start <laughs> posting on on this youtube youtube machine um, there were a couple of guys called uh, in a band called Hudson Taylor who I knew when I was a teenager and they were a bit older than me. They were able to gig, basically couldn't get gigs and I was desperate to show some people the songs I was writing. Um, but I was sort of 14, 15, they weren't going to let me into like an open mic in a pub. So 
yeah, putting them up on YouTube is my way of kind of being a bit of a show off and also trying to get some kind of feedback because I hadn't had singing lessons or guitar lessons. It was a way of, I'm again, quite naive, but I just wanted someone to be like, hey, you should change your wrist when you play chords and you should do it like this. I was just looking for kind of feedback and probably attention. So yeah, that's how I started. And then Sunset Head of Boys had all these, they'd also started YouTube as well. So there was kind of like quite a nice sort of community that, that grew up around it. And I think we were kind of accidentally ahead of the curve. I wouldn't, we're behind the UK, but in Ireland, I think us lot were kind of accidentally some of the first to start just uploading music, you know, from your bedroom. So, yeah, interesting. I, yeah, there was a lot of luck involved as well. I didn't realise that. I thought that YouTube was just kind of a thing. I didn't realise it was a... a, a, a geographical thing so i would i wonder uh was there any help you got from youtube because you can find out tutorials how to play guitar and how to songwrite and things did you pull any information as you were uploading as well yeah i mean that's so from like tutorials and more just from watching other musicians being massively inspired by what was happening on the site and just wanting to invite myself to the party there was loads of people in the states and the uk who i was still very much in Dublin at this point just kind of watching them from afar being like wow they are like they're really doing this like also you know they're real musicians and it's their job but they're also recording from their house there's like this incredible like intimacy and kind of rawness about it um and i still get quite nostalgic about this time on youtube because i think the site's quite different now yeah, the algorithm. Al, ugh, excuse me. The algorithm. I can't say that word. Algorithms have all changed, and things that should be on the front page, like smaller or up growing up and coming artists and things, just aren't getting the exposure they used to on the YouTube. Yeah, but there's also a huge sort of shift in that when I was first uploading YouTube videos, no one had really made a job from YouTube, so no one was kind of attacking it with any kind of agenda and the production values were very low and very kind of very humble like I did not know how to work a microphone until I absolutely had to know how to work a microphone you were just slapping your phone up and there was no expectation or pressure on anyone to kind of produce a music video you know it was just very very simple whereas now yes the true by the algorithms but more than anything I think there's a pressure on 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 the music side of YouTube for it to be very very produced and I'm not a big fan of that. There's a lot of there's a lot of twelve year olds I think I've never seen anyone actually sing. <laughs> because there's just so much like lip syncing that they just I get a lot of comments about the faces that I make when I sing. Mm-hmm. And um mine are mine are particular like mine are pretty bad. I definitely don't try and rein them in. But I think a lot of the times people are just shocked because if they're a bit younger they genuinely haven't seen many people actually sing because <laughs> most of it is pre recorded. And that's that's kind of I don't want to say it's the way of the world now, but things are changing, which is Yeah, of course. I mean, the internet has to change. It has to evolve. And I think when something becomes more competitive, you know, people just, yeah, they've got a, you know, it becomes a bit of a rat race. But yeah, I think in that sense, I was very lucky to start making videos when I did. Let's talk a little bit about the single. It's called I Go Crazy, and it's out now on the Apple Music and the iTunes and everything. This was your first (laughs) single in about, Two years? Three years? Yeah. What, yeah. Why was there a break between music? Because you did tour with one of my favourite people who I haven't spoken to yet. I spoke to Tessa Violet and she was with her, Dodie. 
I haven't, haven't, yeah. I haven't spoken to Dodie yet. So, oh, you, she's great. I really want to. Please set me up with Dodie. I will. Well, um, I'm going. I'm going to be with her for the next couple of weeks. The tour that I'm doing in America is her tour, so I play oh, guitar with Dodie. Fantastic. I think. I think she is just such a talent. How did you meet Dodie, and how did you get? How did you get into touring in the United States? Yeah. So I think Dodie actually came to one of my gigs originally. She did a really like years and years and years ago covered like one of my first songs and so we were aware of each other through the internet because at that point she was making videos but not at a kind of sort of on the scale that she does now so we were aware of each other I mean there's a lot of people I know in this way you kind of you know each other but you don't know each other you haven't actually met in person and then she came to a gig of mine in London and so we met there and then we ended up sort of having a lot of friends in common and then we live really close to each other in London and yeah when she was putting together a band I just, yeah, it ended up being me, which has been amazing because, like, I'm not a session player originally. I like to think that I hopefully bring something to it that isn't sort of, I think I bring a sensitivity to the artist project where I'm not trying to, like, riff over her. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like, because yeah. I know what it's like to have other people in the band and I know what, you know, I know when I play a gig with Jodie that the focus should absolutely be here and we should really just be embellishing what she does rather than trying to take any limelight. So yeah, she's like one of my best friends. She's she's amazing. And ugh, sorry, I'm trying to think of a way to word this next question. You said That's you fine. you said you weren't as such a session player and was there ever any disagreements but like, oh I think you should do it this way and then her coming back saying, Oh no, I want to do it this way and how did you solve them? Oh, no. I mean, we've been really lucky. And I think, again, I think there's, I also live with a bunch of people that do the artist thing or are in bands. And I think there's less disagreements because, you know, everyone's just trying to figure out their own projects. So I would never go to anyone and say, this is how you should be doing it when I'm really still trying to figure it out myself. Um, but I think more than anything, there is an, there's a, an empathy where I know exactly how it feels to have a terrible writing session. And I know, sadly, what it feels like to work with producers who patronize you for being young or sadly sometimes for being a girl and so when any of us have experiences like that I think there's a kind of we get it and that's what you know there's n there is never any disagreements but sometimes there are these nice moments of being like I get it I guess what I get what's tough about doing a job like this and I'm kind of I can I can empathize but yeah no I no, never any disagreements someday you and I are gonna have to sit down because you said something which I'm desperate to ask you about you said about all the problems in the music industry, and one of them is that you're a girl. Someday we're going to have to mm. discuss that. So I don't. <laughs> it's a threat. Someday. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't know how many hours you have to discuss that now, but I imagine that's quite of a course. significant problem. Yeah, it is sadly, and I really, really try not to kind of go into a session and kind of feel at a disadvantage because so many of the producers and writers that I've worked with have been genuinely brilliant and don't treat me any differently. This has been the odd situation and interestingly I've noticed it more since I've gotten to production. I kind of come into sessions now and really want to be quite involved on that side of it, whether we're writing for me or someone else. And yeah, there are definitely like especially older guys who kind of get a little mm. bit like, that's nice now, sit down and leave that to me. <laughs> yeah. Um but it, I mean, it doesn't happen that often. When it does happen, it's it's infuriating. But I'm, yeah, I'm getting a little bit better at calling people out when it happens. And yeah, there was a, there was a producer I worked with that told me to uh, that I should flaunt myself more in, in Instagram, <laughs> things like mm. that. I like I knowing now when to 
not work as people again. But it doesn't happen that often. Yeah, and and also when to uh, maybe not so diplomatically tell them off, as you said. Yeah, I mean, you need to know your, you know, you need to take the right fights. I'm not there to sort of educate anyone. I'm just there in a room to make music. And if it's not the right setup, then you find something else, you know. Yeah, you just want to do what you want to do. And if anybody's going to get in the way of that, yeah. then they can take a walk. Yeah, and if they're really extreme, then I'll call them out. <laughs> <laughs> so, Bazingle. Sorry, we got completely distracted. Bazingle. Sorry, I, I, I went off on a tangent. Oh, no, no, it's my fault. I, I, I like talking about things. The single is called I Go Crazy. As I said, it's the first single in three years. Why the break yeah. between songs? Yeah, big break between songs. I had released two EPs when I, was, when I first came to London. I was much younger, and... Honestly, I kind of released them because people were there. Like, it's such a blessing to have any kind of audience. But when they're saying, hey, like, you should put this music on iTunes, you know, you want to kind of do whatever keeps them happy. And so I put music out that I don't hate, but I don't think it was very me. Like, I wasn't very involved in the production choices. And so in 2015, I kind of was like, okay, stop the ride. I want to get off. My music is running away from me. And it's not that it's bad. It's just, it's not as me as it should be because all the artists, when I looked objectively at my own project, all the artists that I love, like Regina Spector, I always go back to Imogen Heap, Joni Mitchell, Kate Bush, St. Vincent, Kimbra, like all of these artists, the music they put out is such an undiluted version of them. It's just got so much character in it, so much personality, which I find easy enough to put into my videos, but something between doing the videos and going to studios, somewhere along the way, all of that character and charm was sort of being pushed out. And, and, and I think it was just slightly overproduced. So rather than go and make another EP or set of songs that I wasn't going to end up being proud of, I basically got to work on learning how to produce myself. Um, and I'm still not quite at the level where I can produce something completely by myself that's totally releasable, but I'm like, I feel like I'm very close now. And more than anything, I can go into sessions now and have like a really solid kind of educated input into the production side of things and into the writing side of things as well. It just gives me a bit more of a bit of ammo and it means that I come out with things that I don't feel are just someone else's songs sung by me, you know? Yeah. So it was a question of identity, really, and just wanting to get it really right and not wanting my debut album, for example, to be something that I was ever going to look back on and not be proud of. So, yeah, that was all those couple of years where it was just like, I mean, I was also doing really boring things like getting a manager and getting a booking agent and making sure that all the pieces of the puzzle were there. Right, but yeah. really, it was kind of a creative, a creative self-discovery sort of time. And I kind of knew, I just, you know, I just sort of, I didn't put a time limit on it, and, and a lot of people in music said, I think you're crazy. Like, once you start releasing music, you shouldn't stop. And I was kind of like, I'm going to do it anyway. And when I find a song that I hit on that feels like the right one to put out, then, then I know I'm, I'm ready, you know? That is also quite a, I don't want to say a brave thing to do, but in this day and age where things move so fast, it, I mean, did you ever fear not finding a song and just kind of it all slipping away? Yeah, I don't, I mean, I didn't, I didn't fear not getting a song, but I certainly sort of had fear at times of my existing audience sort of losing interest, because you're right, everything moves really fast, especially online, and so, yeah, I didn't, didn't think it was going to be as long as it was, but I'm really, really glad now that I did do that, because I just, yeah, feel in such a better headspace now about everything that's to come. 
Speaking of better headspace, the title is I Go Crazy. Tell us a little, a little bit about the writing of the song and where that title came from. <laughs> yeah, um, I told a boy I loved him. Ooh, which that's is quite a, a big deal. Yeah, that's a it's quite a big deal for mm, me, especially yeah. because I'm just you know not someone who says that very often, and he didn't say it back. Oh, what a which <laughs> what a dick. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I wasn't sure with what words I could get away with on your show, like, what a twat. No, he's fine, he's good. Um, so he didn't say it back, and so there was this kind of strange, frozen sort of moment in time where I was like, oh, okay, interesting. And that just ended, we parted ways, I went home very frustrated, and I had a session the next day with the two producers I was working with, who were called Ben and Sean. Super talented guys. Ben did all the LaRue stuff. Remember LaRue? I do um, remember LaRue. She was wonderful. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. And then Sean and um, you see the guy who comes from more of a rock background. So, had this like amazing kind of setup of like the synth master and the guitar master and me with all the words and melodies. And it was, yeah, it was, it was pretty awesome. And so I came in the next day to work on a different song, but they could tell that I was like a bit off. And they were like, what is up? I was like, nothing. <laughs> They're like, something is clearly up. And then obviously I ended up pouring my heart out to them. And we, at the time, had been working on this other song that sort of had this kind of, kind of Stevie Nicks sort of Edge of 17 chugging guitar thing, kind of doing the like, thing. Um, because at that stage, in, I have so many songs. There's no shortage of songs. Um, but I found there are a lot of very upbeat ones and a lot of very sad ones, but very little in the middle of that kind of... In terms of mood, I had a lot that were very like joyous and a lot that were very sad, but nothing else in the kind of spectrum of emotions. And so I really wanted something that kind of felt like it was kind of tense and frustrated and angry. And so, yeah, there was just a coming together serendipitous moment of like that riff, that mood, and my situation that kind of... One of those things with the song just, I mean, it sounded very romanticized, but it really did just sort of happen. So, um, yeah, so we just, I just wrote it that day and I had like scribbled some words in my phone that were not even meant to be a song. I think I was just on the way to the studio, like rolling over the whole situation from the night before. And sometimes I just write things to get them out of my head. You know, they're not always like have to be songs. So, but this time it was. And it was just one of those things where you just happened to maybe write down the words, I go crazy. And then it's, it, grew from there yeah exactly yeah i think that was kind of one of the last things that came together we had the like three words two hearts one maybe um was kind of the lyric where it started and yeah i just wanted to paint a picture of like how that moment felt and how incredibly i mean it wasn't even sad i think it was just sort of the frustration of being like ah! and then yeah then we thought of like a crazy lyric and it was kind of meant to just capture the that moment of just feeling very unhinged <laughs> <laughs> which we've all felt at some point which is what i think makes it such a good song because it is so relatable when you're in that kind of as you said the kind of frozen space and then you start realizing oh this isn't going my way that's what i really like <laughs> about the song oh thank you it's basically about me being a control freak and just wanting every situation to go exactly how i'd like it to go <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of situations and control, let's discuss the music video for I Go Crazy. It's I, I don't I, no, I like it, but it it it's interesting, shall we okay. say? Because 
if you haven't seen the music video, it's kind of uh, how to how to describe. It. It's kind of almost like when you cut pieces out of magazines and then you'd fit them together in different styles. I want to say. Yeah, sort of collage. Yeah, it's the word collage. That's a much better word. It took like seven minutes to think of the word collage, and it wasn't even me. And when it all, when you were thinking of the idea for the video, what was the the plan behind it? Yeah, I mean, my bare bones kind of first thoughts on the music video is that I wanted to be in it, but I didn't want it to be like a pretty sort of lip synky video where I looked really nice and it was like really pop and clean. I kind of I wanted it to reflect the mood in the song, which is meant to be like slightly unhinged and like kind of uncomfortable. Um, and so a friend recommended that I contact a guy called Guy Larson, who ended up directing the video. And the, the, he's an illustrator originally and also works on some videos. He did, uh, he was, I don't know if you've seen Dodie's video for Intertwined, but he was the guy mm-hmm. who built the doll, he was the guy who built the dollhouse and all the figures. Oh, really? So. That's yeah, he's just like an amazing, super well-rounded art guy. But all the work that he's done, there's this thread of kind of, there's a thread of creepiness that runs through everything that he does that I just love. He makes these weird puppets. He's just, you know, it's quite upbeat, kooky stuff, but there's always this little bit of an edge to it. And so, Something yeah, a little bit out know. of the norm. Exactly. And that's exactly the feeling I wanted to hit. Like I wanted it to, sure, have like shots of me singing, shots of, me playing guitar but more than anything I just wanted it to be like slightly uncomfortable and slightly ugly so yeah he got involved and I mean directing doesn't even cut it he did all the stop motion animation he made all the masks there's like a really ugly mask of my face sort of reassembled in a really gross way um we made a mask of my eyes and all of that was was this guy Guy Larson he was amazing and it's it's done. I want to say it's done pretty well. It's it's doing pretty well as a music video. Are you proud of it? Yeah, I am really proud of it. You don't seem so sure though. <laughs> oh no, I am sure. See, my thing about the music video is it's it's the eyes. I have a I get kind of freaked out about eyes, so I like yeah, it, but it's good. a bit I unnerving. Mean, that's the desired effect. Oh oh well, mission accomplished. There we go. There's a reason for everything. <laughs> I do like it and I do like the song. It's just, as I said, it's the eyes. I just get creeped out by eyes in real life. So there's oh, your yeah, big there's eyes staring at eyes. me. And it's just, no, yeah. fair. And you know what? It's meant to be a slightly uncomfortable watch. And yeah, it's yeah, it's done far better than I thought. It, it was ended up on Reddit the other day, which I didn't read because it's Reddit. You know, yeah, know don't, don't read the comments. It's, yeah, it's definitely had a good, a good boost every now and then. And it's, it's been really, really well received on the whole. Well, that is good. Speaking of well received what is next you mentioned an album is that in the works yeah i'd like to think so i mean i can't say it's for certain a date but i feel like i definitely writing wise like have the songs to make up an album um on the creative side i'm still searching for my like perfect production setup um because i would really if i do an album would like it to be recorded in the same place by the same person um rather than kind of floating between those different setups and so on in that sense i just need to find my my perfect setup but song wise i'm like very very proud of what i've what i've got in the bank and yeah i think first i'd like to do an ep i'd like to record one of them before the end of the year i think um like crazy is going to have a sort of sister single that we maybe uh, i think i'm hoping to put out in october Ooh. so i guess in my head those two songs are kind of like a hey i'm back 
let's do this. And then there's kind of definitely, maybe not an album just yet, but definitely a decent body of work to come early next year. Yeah, just kind of hitting the ground running and getting back into the swing of things. Yes, absolutely. So we're about to play the single I Go Crazy, but I want to thank you for your time and for joining me on the show today. It's been so fantastic to speak to you. Would you introduce your song I Go Crazy for us? Absolutely. My name is Orla Gartland and this is my song I Go Crazy. And that's where we'll cut it. Thank you so much. Is there anything you want to cover? Do you think we covered everything? No, I thought you did a really good job. Fair play. Thank you very much. You were you were very funny and actually answered most of my questions for me, which is great. That's what I want. That's what I want. Because when <laughs> oh, I do... An, thank you so much. Oh, no. It, it was my pleasure. Because when you do an... I don't want to tell you how to do things, but my thing is is that I want people to talk about themselves as much. Because I could sit here and say, oh, you released an EP in 2011, you released a single in 2018, and so on and so forth. So it's always good to get people to talk about themselves. And you did that fantastically i'm very i decided in september that i wanted to revisit one of my favorite segments from the past so what i did is i went on twitter and i read russell brand's tweets and you remember what you do after a russell brand tweet and while that song was on do you remember ages ago there was a thing on twitter where whenever russell brand tweeted people would tweet park life back at him i thought it'd be funny just have a little, just revisit that a little bit. So let's look at some of Russell Brand's tweets. He says, Don't look at society and ask how you can fit in with it. Look at yourself and ask how society can fit in with you. Park life. <laughs> uh, there's another one here. I just need to find out. I've lost it. Good start to the show. So the problem is he mostly just retweets people saying how good he is. We already know all the important stuff, like don't trust politicians, don't trust big business, and don't trust the media. Trust your own heart and each other. Are you ready? Park life. <laughs> let's do just one more of these, because my throat is killing me and I need to go take a drink. So let's see if we can find a really good one. Uh, let's find a good one here. We're just scrolling through his Twitter feed. Here's a good one. We must let go of impatience, because patience is a form of acceptance, and acceptance is everything. Park life. <laughs> September also brought us my favorite top ten list of the year. So, presented to you for your pleasure, this is the top ten noises I make when I'm sicker than a dog. This is the Peter Greenwood Show. Let's get into this week's top ten list. And this week's top ten list is the top ten noises I make when I am sick. Here we go, number 10. Number 9. <coughs> number 7. Number 6. Ah, number 5 on the list of the top 10 noises I make when I am sick. Number 4. Number 3. This is a bad time. Number two. <laughs> and finally, number one. 
And that's how we do that. That is this week's top 10 list. Stay with us when you so much still ahead. In October, I was very glad to welcome Lauren Aquilina onto the show. Now, if you don't know Lauren, she's a musician. She kind of walked away from it a few years ago, but now she's back. And I am so happy that I got a chance to speak to her. And this is her telling us the story of how and why she came back. Hello? Hello, is this Lauren? Hi, I'm speaking. Hi, Lauren, it's Peter from Pulse98.4. How are you? Hi, Peter, I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm okay, thanks. Is now a good time, or do you want me to... No, now it's now it's good. That's good, I'm glad. Uh, so I'm just getting some final levels done, and then we will begin, if that's okay? Okay, no okay. problem. That is great. So I'll just do a bit of a quick introduction. This is the Peter Greenwood Show, and my guest today, ladies and gentlemen, I can't believe she's on this pooky little radio show. Ladies and gentlemen, Lauren Aquilina. Hi, Lauren. How are you? Hi, I'm good, thank you. How are you? I am very well. There's so much I want to talk to you about, but let's let's kind of begin at your beginning. What is your musical background a little bit? Um, well, I don't have musical parents, Um but I was always obsessed with music and my mum said I was singing as soon as I could talk. So um, I, I think I started writing songs when I was about eight or nine um, and obviously they were like very, very bad. Um, <laughs> but I was, yeah. uh, at the time, I didn't know how to write my own melodies so I would basically steal the melodies from Girls Aloud songs and put my own lyrics to them. That was my own version of songwriting. Um, I mean, there's no it, crime against that, really, though, is there? <laughs> I guess, I guess not when you're nine. No, but you can't do that forever. Oh. Um, <laughs> so I, I started doing that, and then um, sort of gradually developed over time, and then released my first EP independently when I was sixteen, seventeen. And what was that like as a somebody who'd grown up? doing music to release your first EP independently by yourself completely alone which is basically the definition of independent so I'm sorry <laughs> for that but what was that feeling like? Um, I think at the time I didn't really know what was going on um, and was kind of blissfully unaware of everything that was happening and um, I just like made four songs that I thought were good um, but I didn't really know whether anyone else was going to like them and then when I put that EP out it went straight to um, the iTunes top 10 which seems like a long time ago even saying the word iTunes now but um, it went straight to the iTunes top 10 and then I was like whoa I didn't realize this was going to actually reach people um, but it's still quite a significant event getting into the iTunes top 10 with your first EP at age 16 yeah, definitely. Definitely. It was it was very confusing but very cool. <laughs> and then this was this concurrent with YouTube happening? Yeah, so I was sort of um doing covers of other songs on YouTube and posting my own original music as well and building up like a really small fan base organically through that. Um which is, like, I guess, is why when I did eventually release my own music, people were there waiting for it, which was really, really cool. 
Um, so yeah, YouTube was like a big a big factor in in the start of my career too. It must be so nice to have built up from the ground up to see your audience growing and everything coming together and it all crystallizes in this one moment with the EP. Yeah, it was it was so so nice. Very very overwhelming but um really cool and then that sort of confirmed I wanted to carry on doing that in the future as well. And then I I know you've been asked about this a billion and one times so this is going to be a billion and two and I'm so sorry but a few years That's ago okay. You took a well. You you didn't take a break. You left music altogether. I did in a very dramatic exit. Um, <laughs> I uh, yeah. So after you know after I released a couple of EPs independently, I got signed to a major label and um, and was signed there and thought that was dream and um, was very excited, but quickly realised that. I wasn't really having a very good time at all um, and wasn't very happy. Didn't feel like I was being able to make the music that I wanted to make. Um, and that sort of had a real effect on my mental health. And eventually in 2016, I was um, diagnosed with depression. And when I spoke to my doctor, he said, from the sounds of it, you know, it's your career that's affecting you this way and it's making you so unhappy and making you not want to get out of bed in the morning um and so I like then I sort of took a step back took a serious look at my life and what was going on around me and I decided that if I was going to get out of that deep dark hole at the time then the only thing I need I could do was make a pretty drastic change so I decided to leave the record label and um I decided to sort of leave the music industry altogether um, for a while, which I did at the time. And it also, I mean, as we said at the start, it all sounds kind of dramatic, but there's a serious point there, which is about your mental health and how unhappy you were at the time. And what was your next step after that? Did you feel free? Did you feel pressure to do something else after that? I felt such a sense of freedom. Honestly, I was so, when I posted online that I was going to take a break, I was so relieved and so happy. Um, and to be honest, there was about six months where I just didn't do anything um, and just gave myself a complete break because, you know, I've been working pretty intensely since I was 16. And I think to a lot of other people, it, it sounded like I was like just sort of, living my life and having a good time but really the the level of work that I was putting myself through was really intense to to keep up my social media and reply to every comment and I put all this pressure on myself and you know music is like a 24-hour job and you're not really able to switch off from it when you're in it so I took a break um and then was sort of <laughs> unknowingly sucked back into the music industry um, as a songwriter by the manager that I have now who contacted me and said, I think you're too good not to be a songwriter and basically wouldn't leave me alone until I agreed to do like a trial period with him. So um, that's how I ended up being back in the music industry. <laughs> 
And when this manager approached you, did it... I don't want to use this word trivially, and please don't think I'm using that word, but did you feel pressured at that point? to? Because I think it's something important to say about mental health and being able to do something and recognise that when you're not happy, to be able to do something to change it. I don't think it felt pressured, but I think there was... I think what I didn't realise when I, um, air quotes, quit the music industry was that when you're... Um, when you are a creative, it's in, it, it's a part of you and it's impossible to lose that part of you. Like, you know, I'm always going to be a creative. I'm always going to be a musician, no matter how hard I try and stop. That's always going to be a part of who I am. Um, so I didn't feel pressured from him. I felt like, you know, I met him and he was so good and um, he offered me this opportunity where I could still write songs every day but without any of the without having to do any of those like online stuff or being in the spotlight stuff or um music videos which I hated doing or you know having to do any photo shoots or anything like that so I basically could take it back to why I started doing music and that was like a really appealing thing for me at the time so I think at that point after taking like six months off it, it was more my own choice, which is good. And then Psycho came along. Tell us a little bit about that, how that song came up, came around. So um, during all this time, I had quite a messy breakup. And um, as part of that breakup, um, about two weeks after it happened, I found myself on the front steps of my ex-boyfriend's house <laughs> um Ooh, okay <laughs> and um I wasn't even drunk which is makes it more embarrassing but um I was like just really emotional he came outside and found me and took me in and sort of comforted me for a while and then got me an Uber home um but I was I was in a session I was in a songwriting session with um my writing partner who's also one of my best friends this guy called Johnny and um we were talking about this and kind of laughing about it and we he started playing um he started playing the bass and I basically just started singing what became the chorus and I mean we were just we couldn't stop laughing we just thought it was really funny um we thought it was like a joke song um but then after we after we finished it we listened back to it and we were like we think this is really good <laughs> um so we we sent it to our management and to our publishers um, and they also thought it was really good, but they had no idea where to put it. Um, and we sent it out to quite a few different artists and got really positive response, but everybody said they felt like it, what, they couldn't sing it because it felt too much like my own story, you know? Um, yeah, it felt too personal for anybody else to do anything with it. Yeah, so eventually it got to the point where I was like, I feel like this song is too good not to come out. I think I'm just going to do it. And somebody said to me, if um, if you um, if you found out you only had a week left to live, would you regret not releasing this song? And I said, to be honest, yes. So that was sort of the catalyst for me to then call up my team and say, right, I'm going to do this. <laughs> 
And what was the recording process like for it? And at that point, did you feel good about going into the studio again? Yeah, I was I was definitely nervous, um, but excited. And, you know, this felt like it was the most excited I've, I'd ever been to record and produce a song um, because I love the song so much. So I went in, um, I went in with a producer called Lost Boy, who I've known for a while and think is amazing and really trust. And him and I worked together really closely over a few weeks, going back and forth and editing it until it got to a place where I was super happy with it. And that's, that itself was something I'd never really been able to do before because I never felt confident enough to express my opinion with production because obviously that's not my area of expertise I always kind of felt like oh I've got to leave that to the professionals um I think that's why you know when I was signed and stuff a lot of the music turned out not the way I wanted it which made me unhappy so it was it was nice to feel much more in control this time and to be like truly happy with the final product as well this is the voice of Lauren Aquilina. We're talking to her about her new single, Psycho, and everything in between. Lauren, you've just gotten back from tour in the United States with Dodie and Tessa Violet and Orla Gartland. And how did how did that happen for a start off? And what was that tour like? I wasn't actually on the tour. Oh, were you not? Um, oh, sorry. I thought you were on because <laughs> you released that mashup video, so I thought you were on the tour with them. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm glad that it made it look that way. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but no, I wasn't. I wasn't on the tour. I was. Um, I was literally just in LA um, for three weeks because I. Um, since I've been writing for other people, I've had to go to LA about two or three times a year because there's like a there's so many artists out there that I work with. Um, so I happen to be in LA at the same time that Dodie and Orla and Tessa passed through on tour um and then that's when we filmed that video and obviously um Orla is um has been my best friend for a while so it was really nice to hang out in LA with her too um and what's it was really fun sorry I was gonna ask what's interesting about that mashup song is 50% of it is Dodie and Tessa doing this lovely song like like Crush for example and Dodie Human but then you've got the heartbreak side of it which is you yeah. and Orla with I Go Crazy. It's like, that. that's a good kind of balance. Yeah, it felt like it kind of fitted together really well, actually. Like, um, Dodie and Orla sent me a voice memo from the tour bus. Um, and they said, you know, we had this idea to mash up all the songs. Like, let us know what you think. Um, and I was, I didn't think it was going to work. <laughs> but um, when they you know, they're so good at doing like the arrangements and stuff. When they sent it to me, I was like, oh, this actually sounds really great. And all the moods, the songs fit together really well. Um, so I was, I was up for it. That's what I found most interesting. I was like, how is human going to go with I Go Crazy? But it, it just does. It works. And Crush yeah, it does. and your single Psycho are, I don't want to say polar opposites of each other, but they're different. Yeah, definitely lyrically. Um, but we sort of, we made Dodie and Tessa's songs much darker feeling for the mashup. And I think that was like a cool twist on them as well. 
And what I also found interesting is I had Orla on the show about a, a month or so ago, and I saw last night you're moving in with her. How did how did that happen? Is this a good thing? Yeah, it's definitely a good thing. It happened. It literally happened like yesterday. <laughs> um, but yeah, we've. Um, I just moved um, to my own place in West London, and like it just kind of fell into place that all I needed um, a room and I had a second bedroom so um, yeah she moved in like yesterday and uh, it's so nice because we've been friends for such a long time um, that I don't really have any worries about it you know when you live with people you can sort of fall out with them quite quickly and stuff but I you know we've we've been on tour together and everything and we've never had an argument so I think it's going to be fine (laughs) Um, and I'm really excited to get to see her more because she's such a good energy and I I don't want to put any pressure on you or start any rumors but with you and all the living together is there a possibility of more musical mashups musical collaborations I'm sure I'm sure there will be I mean I'm out of I'm kind of out of the YouTube game and stuff now. Um, but I mean, I feel like that's definitely going to happen more naturally anyway. And definitely, it's definitely something that I want to do. So hopefully, yeah. I feel like it's got, it would be great to live in your house for the next, however long you live together, because just late night jam sessions. And then when Tessa comes over for her part of the tour, then when Dodie's in town and all your friends, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be fantastic to live above you with all the music that's going to be coming. Out of it. <laughs> I think, I think my neighbors are probably going to hate us to be honest. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, Dodie lives just around the corner as well. Actually, she, she came over last night. Um, so it's going to be, you know, I like, I love having, having our friends around especially like a lot of our friends who are in music so i think it's going to be a really musical household which is which is going to be fun so yeah it's it's going to be very interesting i just thought that was so wonderful that because as you said you've known orla such a long time and i was like oh orla was on the show i consider her a friend now so let me ask about this person who i, <laughs> I met briefly for like 10 minutes on the telephone <laughs> i would like to ask with let's let i don't want to sound what am I trying to say here let me start again I don't want to sound like I'm you know putting too much pressure on you but Psycho has done done a little bit well so what is next for you um yeah definitely better than I was expecting to be honest um but there is um there's gonna be a new single in January um which I consider to be Psycho's sort of twin song. Um, I wrote them. I wrote them both around the same time, and um, I think they're quite. They, I think they sound like a pair to me. Um, so yeah, there's a song coming out in January. Um, I've got an, I've got a London show next month in November um, at Camden Assembly, and then I've got two more shows in London and Manchester in February. So. It's, I'm not going back to like full touring, but I'm trying to ease myself into it slowly because, I, you know, I put one London show on sale and then I felt bad that I wasn't seeing the rest of the country. So I'm sort of just taking it one step at a time um, and seeing how I go. And then the plan is for there to be an EP release in sort of April time, springtime. Um, 
but it's it's nice because it's all on my own terms now and there's no time pressure from anyone else except myself so it's really like it's when I feel ready that's when the music's going to come out um and that's when I'm going to do shows and stuff so it's like it's just all on my own terms which is pretty cool and makes me not as terrified to do it as I was before and it's a wonderful position to be in where you can make the terms and you're not beholden to anybody else's schedules or anything of that nature yeah exactly it's really nice before i let you go and before we play the single how can people get hold of you where can people find you on the internets um i think i'm at lauren aquilino on pretty much everything um i'm on twitter i'm on instagram and i'm on facebook um i think twitter and instagram are probably most active so if you find me there i will always try and say hello and respond to as many people as i can and i love chatting to everyone so so yeah so go and find lauren she, this this song is called an absolute bop and we're gonna play it it is called psycho lauren would you introduce it for us please oh i love i love this part okay um hi i'm lauren aquilina and this is my new single psycho now in october I had comedian and actress Felicity Ward on the show, talking about her show in Glasgow, and we invented a new definition for starstruck. Take a listen. Hello. Hello. Hello, is this Felicity? It is. Hi, Felicity. I'm Peter. How are you? I'm well, Peter. How are you? I'm very well, thanks. Do you want me to give you a quick call back, just so it's not your phone bill? Yeah, sure. I don't mind either way. Oh, okay. Well, we're here now, so, you know. We're here. It's fine. Fantastic. How how are you today? You doing okay? I'm doing pretty well. Yeah, the tour started, so my um, my little body's uh, remembering what it's like to perform for an hour and a half high energy around the country. Right. And um, not, I'm not 25 anymore, so <laughs> we're, we're, we're remembering what that's like and just having to readjust our expectations. Well, at least at least you're out there doing it. I'm just going yeah. to do some quick levels and then we will begin. Great. Fantastic. So that's pretty much... Let me just do, do, do. Okay, that looks great. I'm ready if you are. I am ready if you are. Fantastic. Well, I'll, I'll just do a quick intro, to, intro for you. Great. This is the Peter Greenwood Show. Hello there. My guest today is a comedian. You've seen her on Mock the Week. You've seen her on Live from the BBC. Ladies and gentlemen, Felicity Ward is on the show today. How are you today, Felicity? I'm well. How are you? I am very well. It's it's, it's not bad here today. Whereabouts in the world are you currently? Uh, I mean, honestly, I'm in bed. <laughs> <laughs> I was watching I was watching um, Lord of the Rings Two Towers right. uh, on, my, on my hours off. And I've seen it so many times, but for some reason, I find it very comforting. Um, I don't know what it is about the journey of two tiny people traveling across a fantasy land that makes me feel at home, um, maybe because I'm one of those. Anyway, I, um, I, my husband is still watching it, so I thought I'd come into the bedroom and um, where else to sit but comfortably in bed. Well, may as well. I mean, if, if you've got the means, why not? Spurge a little, do it in bed. Uh- Aren't you also in bed at the moment? Isn't that how everyone works? I wish I was in bed, but I'm here talking to you because it's lovely to talk to you. Oh, stop you. <laughs> I heard you go, hang on, I'm making this sound not very nice towards her. How do I change it? <laughs> not at all. I'm stuck here talking to you. Not at all, not at all. Now, you did bring up something which I wanted to ask about. Those who have heard your, your tones may not may realise they're not from these parts. Whereabouts are you from originally? I am from a... Um, a 
classic British question, where are you from originally? Um, I'm from um, about an hour and a half north of Sydney from a very, very small town uh, called Kilcare. This is the most embarrassing thing. Basically, uh, if you go to where my sister lives and you look across the water, you can see where Home and Away is filmed. That's how it's stereotypically Australian. That is quite, that's quite excellent, though. I grew up watching Home and Away, so being able to see... Where it was were you a home and away person or were you a neighbours person or were you both? Well, see, neighbours used to be on, on the BBC and I believe home and away used to be on ITV. Yes. So I used to see neighbours more because we liked Kylie in the house. This was back when Kylie was still on it. That gives you some indication of how old I am. Yes. So, There's no shame in that. There's no shame in that at all. Do you want to know my big neighbours connection? I would love to know your big neighbours connection. This is 100% real and only for people our age Okay. Uh, because when I told my husband this, who is six years younger than me, he had no idea what I was talking about and I should have dropped him then and there. Um, so my mum's best friend, her mum is Helen Daniels. No. Anne Hattie. Oh, no. Is that Jim true? Jim Robinson's mum. That is mm -hmm. true. Jim Robinson's mum is my mum's best friend's mum in real life. I um, She's passed away now, but. I am. Um literally starstruck uh, <laughs> i don't know what to say <laughs> you're, you're starstruck about a connection with someone that you're talking to exactly who passed away 20 years ago <laughs> <laughs> with someone who i've been speaking to for exactly four minutes i am starstruck oh that is so great have you ever been starstruck before have you ever met someone and got and just not been able to deal with it i've been kind of nervous around people but then i'm generally nervous around people i'm kind of anxious sure. Like, yeah, sure. <laughs> when I meet somebody... Mental health, mental illness doesn't necessarily constitute as being starstruck, but I'll take it. <laughs> I wish that was that was the excuse. Can you come out today? No, I can't. I'm starstruck. That, that I'm sounds really, nice, doesn't we, it? That's a new term for social anxiety. Yes. I'm really sorry. I'm just starstruck today, so yeah. I can't make it out of the house. And they're like, oh, like who me, are you? Me, my family? I'm just a bit starstruck. That's so great. That sounds so much better, doesn't it? We have started doesn't a new thing here. I know, because it it's, it's quite endearing too. Rather than saying social anxiety, which is a real thing, and but, it, you know, it's a, it's a difficult thing because yeah. you have to deal with people every day. And the thing about social anxiety as well is that if you say you have that, people would be like, oh, okay. Like sometimes they'll roll their eyes and kind of be like, okay, get over it. But if you say, oh, I can't, I'm starstruck, that gives go, it a whole oh, new meaning. Oh, come on, it'll be fine. Oh, isn't it cute? Oh, my God, we have to start this. This has to be a thing. It sounds yes, so much better. Absolutely. I'll tell all my friends, all two of them. <laughs> Please do. I mean, if you're not too starstruck to talk to them. <laughs> so that caught me in the exact right way. So <laughs> let's talk a little. I've got so much we need to speak about. And actually, I'll, I'll, I'll cut this a little bit out. How long do I have with you today? Because I don't want to take up all your day. So I have, I've got a call just before midday, I think. Okay. Like at about five to midday, okay. maybe ten till. I'm not sure. That's perfect. Well, well, we'll wrap it up before then. Okay. Okay. So I want to ask you right off the bat, and this is something you've probably been asked a dozen and one times, and that will come up a lot, and I, I apologise in advance for that. <laughs> You're on tour, as we mentioned before, and the tour is called Busting a Nut, which yes. I'm not entirely sure I can say. We'll see if it gets bleeped out or not. So. Yes. Tell us the title. What's the meaning behind the title? Well, the thing is, you have to name your show like 
at 10, eight months before you're actually doing it at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. And I thought it was a really funny, it's a funny expression. And I thought if I look into it, busting a nut means working hard, which I do. I work really hard. I'm very high energy on stage. Um, I'm not a, a, a deadpan standing in one spot talking to the microphone. I move around a lot. And uh, I mean, hopefully it doesn't look like hard work to watch. Um, the other, there's the, the, you know, the word nut in there and nut is often used around mental illness and uh, as a pejorative term and I have mental illness. So I thought, and then of course there is a, there is the sexual innuendo of busting mm -hmm. a nut, which is an American and Australian terminology as well. Um, and I'm a, I can be very blue in my comedy. So I thought, well, that's funny. And what if I dressed up a squirrel and wouldn't that be great? And then 10 months later, I'm looking at a poster of myself going, I have to tour this around the country. Am I still proud of it? Who knows? I want to ask about the squirrel shoot. Who, whose idea was that? Because don't get me wrong, you look lovely in a squirrel outfit. But as you said, 10 months ago, it seemed like a great idea. And now... Look, I'll be perfectly honest. It was my idea and I stand by it. Only because the, the poster is, when I look at it, it's me taking myself very seriously, being undermined by a squirrel outfit who's wearing high heels. And I'm like, I actually think that's everything that I want to say about my comedy. If you're into that, then you're probably into what I say on stage. If you're not into that, maybe don't come to the show. I'm very dumb. I take myself very seriously, but I undermine myself all the time. And you've got a giant nut as well. What, what's not to love? Exactly. You have to have the nut in the shot. Otherwise, it just looks like I'm dressed as a squirrel for no reason. Yeah, and that'll attract a completely different crowd. Exactly, exactly. Once you've got the foam nut in there, they're like, okay. They can make the connection, I see, yeah. Yeah, Let's, they got it. How is tour life treating you? What is it like being out on tour every night? Um, I know that's kind of a broad question, but... Yeah, so. it's, a, it's, a, it's um, I haven't done enough of them to get the lonely... Like, I'm, I'm not famous or successful enough to get the loneliness that a lot of bigger comedians get. Um, so... Uh, I'm only one. I'm only two dates in. I think I've got 30 dates or 31 dates altogether, but like 10 of those are in London. Um, so I, I, I think that you know when you first start stand up, you know you do five minute slots or sometimes 10 minute slots, and you're trying to get more stage time, and then you start getting paid for it, and then that moves up to 20, and then you know eventually you start doing your hour long shows at festivals. Um, and this is I get an hour and a half with people who some of which have never heard me before, but they're just taking a punt come to see me. And I just I just feel so grateful every night that people have turned up. I can't believe it. And especially because I'm foreign and I'm on the other side of the world and people are like, I'll go to, I've, I've, I'm doing a gig, in, um, you know, my Bristol show is sold out already and it's a big room for me. And I'm like, who are these people? So on the, on the one hand, it can be a bit lonely traveling by yourself, but on the other hand, I'm just so grateful that people even want to spend money on me that, I don't know, it cancels it out a bit. That's a wonderful way of looking at it because it is a kind of customer-intensive industry without kind of actually dealing with people because if people don't like what you're saying, then they won't come back. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, you know, it's, the, it's more the, you know, the time in the hotel room that's a bit challenging or the travel time like my first date was in Derby and it's like two hours there and then there was like a mix-up with the hotel and they put me in a hotel out of town and then I had to travel back and forth for the show and for the train station and 
that stuff you're like, oh, this this is making my day unnecessarily long. Um, but on the whole, it's it's the travel more than the shows that are that are you know that wear you down. The shows wear you de- wear me down, but that's because I'm old and high energy. <laughs> I would like to ask more about the shows and people coming to see you in the time we've got left because, as I said, you were on live from the BBC, which is on Netflix, and I I think that's one of the most talked about episodes is your episode because on stage, I don't want to spoil it for people, but on stage there's a pyramid of toilet rolls and an actual toilet as well. And is that something that people recognise you from? Yeah, it's um I didn't I didn't mean to when I when I started talking about my anxiety and my IBS, all I wanted to do was make people laugh. That's the only thing that I cared about. And um uh what the the sort of other thing that happened is people started gathering people who had anxiety disorders or people who had IBS started messaging me and started coming to the shows and um and getting in contact and uh cuz I forget that I've been now. I've been banging on it for so many years. I don't even remember. Like I don't even realize it has an impact anymore until I get another message. And I've had so many people write to me after seeing the show, saying, "I went and saw a doctor after I saw your show, and I've been in denial about my anxiety." And you know, um, it just yeah. People people contact me all the time about the impact that that show has had, or me talking about mental illness because I I talk a lot about it in um you know, on podcasts and stuff like that. There was a, a podcast that I did with um, Susan Kalman. It was her podcast, but she interviewed me. And the same, again, the same thing happened, just sort of getting flooded with message of I could relate to this and I didn't know that, you know, having IBS had anything to do with anxiety and I didn't know they were related. And, um, That's really so, yeah, interesting. It's been, yeah, it's, it's really, really beautiful. Um, this show, Busting a Nut, has... There's a couple of little references to mental health, but it's really it's it's not that show. It's just a straight up stand up show. I haven't done a stand up show for two years, like an hour long one. So it's basically all the best material that I'd been doing in clubs for two years. And there's snippets of that that are about mental illness. The rest of it is just like I got married, I lived with my in laws, I tried hot yoga, I don't care for inspirational <laughs> wow. messages on Instagram. It's that kind of stuff. How? What's hot? I've I'm not entirely sure what hot yoga is. Is it just yoga done in a hot room? It's, yeah, it's stretching with a group of strangers in the flames of hell. <laughs> it's forty degrees. That's not no. an exercise. Center, really? That's a bushfire warning. Yeah, it's intense. That is ridiculously hot. Yeah. How long did you and keep it up for? Once. Once. That's more than enough, I think. Yeah, yeah, and I think that was a mistake. <laughs> no <laughs> offence to anyone that does hot yoga. <laughs> well, there you have it. This is the voice of Felicity Ward. You can see her on Monday, the 22nd of October, at the Stand Club in Glasgow. You can still get tickets. Tickets are still available, so go see go see Felicity, because she's oh, great, as you can to, hear. Come to the Stand in Glasgow. They're just, some, they're honestly some of the best crowds i love glasgow stand i love the audiences that come there i'm so excited about doing it how just quickly how do audiences differ from city to city and country to country really um it, it really really depends it's you know like i, I did farnham um uh, last night and they're a they're a fairly affluent area 
but they were just there for some reason that particular room and the crowd they get there are so effusive and so wonderful um so i i, I don't know i there's just I think there's just you just have some off nights and some not off nights but um there's also something very special about all of the stand clubs there's I'm doing Edinburgh and Glasgow and Newcastle I'm doing all the stand clubs and um the comedy audiences that they get there are just the best they're so they're so wonderful so I'm really excited about playing all three of those yeah the stand is a fantastic name in comedy like I think yes I equate the stand over here to something like the improv in the United States that's yes. how much yeah. I value the stand and yes, you can same. see Felicity there as I said Monday the 22nd of October Felicity how can people get in touch with you if they so choose um, all my gig dates are on my website, which is www.felicityward.com, and you can buy all tickets there. And then on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, I'm just Felicity Ward or at Felicity Ward. It's very, very cryptic. <laughs> See if you can unravel the clues to find Felicity. That's uh, right. It's a treasure hunt. And there's no prize at the end. Well, the prize at the end is you get to see Felicity, so there you go. Yay! <laughs> I cannot thank you enough for your time today, Felicity. It's been fantastic speaking to you. Thank you so much. Have a lovely day. You too. Thanks. Bye. And that's where we'll cut it. Thank you so much for your time today, Felicity. I know you've got to run because you've got your other interview, but thank you so thank much you. for your time today. Thanks a lot, mate. Have a lovely day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. October was also the month when I welcomed a band man, Rob Broderick, on for show. He was a good laugh, so here is his interview now. <laughs> Hello, is this Rob? Hello, is indeed. How are you? I'm very well, thanks. I'm Peter. How are you today, sir? Very, very good. How are you? I, I'm a bit sniffy, but you know, it's so <laughs> compared it's to surviving. what I yeah, compared to what I could be like, it's it's manageable. Hey, fair play, fair play. Um, and you are based in Glasgow. Uh yeah, yeah. One of my favourite cities, one of the best comedy clubs in the country. I hear that a lot from comedians. They say that Glasgow always gives them good crowd reactions. Yeah, the stand is pretty good, man. It's, uh, it is. It's one of the clubs that I think the stand and the glee are the two that people talk about when they kind of tour as being the better. I think it's also, it's it's kind of starts from the top down. It's Tommy who runs it. Uh, set up a great environment for comedy. I think, yeah, it's interesting. I think he had a vision where it would be quite, you know, it'd just be pro-comedians. Um, and I think that shows in the audience and then comics love playing there. I think the most interesting thing about The Stand is the reputation it has over here is similar to the likes of the Comedy Store or the Improv yeah, in, in the United States. Yes, 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 yes. And I think that's really like just as as you said, a space for comedians, which is fantastic. Mm, mm. Yeah, comics adore it. So I'm just doing some final level checks here, and then we will begin. If that's okay. okay. Okay, lovely, absolutely. Okay, how long do I have you for today? By the way, I don't want to take up all your day. Uh, can we do? Would would about ten minutes be okay? That's absolutely perfect. No worries at all, sir. Amazing. Thank you, Peter. No worries at all. Right. Okay. Uh, that is you. Fine. That is me looking as decent as I can. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I'm just going to do a quick introduction for you. Yeah. This is the Peter Greenwood Show. My guest on the show today, you'd have seen him on 8 Out of 10 Cats Does Countdown. You've seen him at the Edinburgh Fringe, and you may have heard of him supporting somebody called Ed Sheeran, where the videos on YouTube have got thousands upon thousands of views. 
Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome a band of man, Rob Broderick, to the show. How are you, Rob? Hello, Peter. I'm very, very good. Very, very good. Uh, Where else in the world are you today? I am in beautiful London. I'm just after a show in Canterbury. Um, So I'm in the kind of traveling side of the tour. I think with the tour, so I did Edinburgh for all of August. and then a little bit in Soho Theatre, uh, and now just getting ready to kind of head all over the UK, including Glasgow, one of my favourite clubs, on the 24th at the stand, 24th of October. That's right, you are coming to Glasgow, which is well, one of the reasons I'm speaking to you, other than the fact that you're lovely, and I would have liked to speak to you anyway. <laughs> very kind, very kind. I would like to ask a little bit about your kind of comedy origins did where at what mm. point did music and comedy interact for you so so for anybody who's not seen the show it's an improvised hip-hop comedy show every word is created based on the crowd um when i was growing up it w- there weren't a lot of rappers in ireland uh as i think was the case in the 90s in scotland i know there were some some kind of battle rappers that did really well but i think yeah uh there, there wasn't a huge amount of hip-hop going out there. Uh, so I think when I was growing up, I would freestyle, but there was no one to freestyle with. I didn't have any knowledge of, like, was I any good at it? Um, is this the thing every rapper does? So, so when I moved over to the UK, I ended up going to an audition for a hip-hop theatre show that was starring uh, Bashi, who was blowing up in the grime scene at the time, uh, Delroy Lindo, who'd have starred in a lot of Spike Lee's movies, was directing, mm-hmm. John Z. D., who runs Breaking Convention, was helping put the whole project together. It was kind of his vision. Um, and so I, I went for this audition, I ended up getting it. We toured for about 16, 16 or 18 months uh, all over the UK. And then uh, in that environment, I was freestyling a lot. I just started doing stand-up. And so at the end of that tour, I thought, let's just put the two skill sets together and see what happens. And at that time, I believe kind of there was a show called Whose Line Is It Anyway that started airing in the UK. And yeah, probably a bit earlier. I think Whose Line Is It Anyway was, I, I would say, almost early 90s. I think That's it was. I remember right, watching it, was, it as yeah. a kid and I, I was blown away. I loved it. Absolutely loved it. And did shows like that inspire inspire you were you naturally always this quick and this clever because if you've seen any of rob's videos on the internet he is a genius let's put it that way Uh, very kind i don't think it was those guys who inspired me i think it was um maybe the nature of what rap battles are i think there was there was always i always had a real appreciation for uh rappers freestyling so it wasn't so much whose lines anyway it was amazing and i did love it as a kid uh but in the kind of hip-hop world there was a real respect i think around the idea of just creating lyrics on the fly um and like i said when i moved to the uk the guys that i was touring with were all great freestylers uh they might necessarily have been funny but though they were great freestylers um so i think that was the stuff i always enjoyed i think reggie watts who now was the uh band leader for james corden in the states mm-hmm. reggie watts was doing the fringe in 05 uh at the underbelly and i would have seen him there and saw him you know just creating i think what he did was he created great music that was we all created through his voice so he was kind of sampling himself um beatboxing 
putting lyrics over it, I remember thinking, this is really great music. This is the kind of music that I like. Um, Reggie Watts is absolutely amazing. I saw him on Conan O'Brien for the first time. Because he comes out and he's got this little thing and you think, okay, where are we going with this? And he starts making these noises and then noises all come together and it's like, now I see, now I get it. Reggie Watts is fantastic. Yeah, and it is that thing of, you know, you you watch it coming together and you're like, this is this is a proper tune. I think with the band of man, that's what I've always uh, tried to do is, you know, create stuff that feels like this is a, a big song. This is, you know, this is a good song with the current tour of Pirate Radio. Um, it takes in to hip hop show, but it takes in a lot of kind of sub genres. There's a lot of, uh, you know, kind of almost flume-esque electronica. There's one song where you're not hearing my natural voice, you're hearing my voice pitched down uh, four <laughs> semitones and pitched up three semitones. So it's almost like a duet, kind of uh, uh, a slightly male-female, as I would be described, uh, mm-hmm. kind of uh, pitched vocal. Um, same with there's a kind of moment of, I ask the crowd for silly moments in their lives, not even silly, but just little moments in their lives that then become songs. So I'll ask a crowd, like, what's something that you've lost and never had a chance to say goodbye to uh, someone? A few nights ago, was saying they lost their Navy cashmere cardigan from m and at Tea in the Park. So I'll do oh. a song. Uh, I'll do a song uh, from the point of view of the cardigan, but as the rapper Drake. So it will be kind of beautifully <laughs> auto-tuned. Uh, so it's all, it's all very silly and very playful, but also hopefully... Musically, I'm definitely trying to be in the same lane as the people who I'm inspired by. It, I mean, you watch a lot of your videos, and I hate to, again compare it, but it sounds almost kind of like Flight of the Concords as well. Yeah, I mean, look, I love those guys. I can't sing, so I feel like that's where we differ. But they, they can rap. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's funny when I think when I think of great musical comedians. I think it's Flight of the Concords, uh, Tim Minchin, uh, oh, Tim incredible. Yeah, it's it's interesting, but again, look, they're all very inspiring. I think, um, yeah, I would very happily, I, I will, I will uh, very happily say thank you if you think it's in the same world as flight. I think, uh, yeah, the flight stuff is it's beautiful. I think Bo Bo would be someone who I who is currently releasing quite a lot of material. Who I would say uh, I look up to massively. I think he is probably the best musical comedian. I think that I've ever seen. I think his his Netflix special is probably the best thing I've uh, I've witnessed. I think for a first time special, Bose is absolutely incredible because you it just goes so many places where like I could never have seen this coming. Yes, I would like to ask you in, in our remaining moments here because we know I know you've got to go and I apologize for taking up hey, so much. I apologize of your time. for nothing. This is a pleasure, Peter. Please, you're very kind, sir. Uh, you mentioned that you interact with the audience, and again, if anybody's seen Rob's videos on YouTube, there's a video where he asks people to get the silliest thing they have out of their pockets. Yes. Yeah. So I think, funnily enough, I kind of look at, uh, I think the show has evolved from there. So I think that would have been some of the, when we started freestyling, that's kind of, you know, a little game that'll be played, you know, just showing a crowd what freestyling is. I think now that the audience kind of knows about Man, uh, 
it doesn't lean as heavily. I think in the very early days, I was very conscious of does the crowd know what freestyling is? So there's a kind of a kind of a game of just you know grab a thing, rap about the thing. I think it's fun, but I think what I much prefer with this current tour is that it's it's entirely made up of uh, of minor moments in people's lives. So it's it's got more. There's maybe more narrative to it, which I'm enjoying personally. I think. Uh, as the crowd kind of gets to know of Anderman over the years and even over the course of the show, I think people have a bit more trust when they share with me on stage. So, um, yeah, last week I did Soho Theatre and I uh, kind of really acknowledged that people felt very at ease. You ask for a minor adversity somebody's been through. They are very at ease telling you these things. Or I kind of talk about hip-hop as quite braggadocious and my natural inclination is to be a bit more uh, shy and I wouldn't really be going, ah, this is what I did. And so it's getting the crowd to talk about something they're proud of, but they never felt it was important enough to tell other people, such as, you know, they built an Ikea wardrobe without the instructions. That's a big moment. And then it's, <laughs> it becomes like a big, huge kind of ravey hip hop track. Those are the bits that I guess that I'm finding most uh, crack to do. And even that thing of like Bramington's in the crowd in this show, it's set in a fictional news, or sorry, a fictional radio show. So people write down, uh, they basically make up their own news stories at the start. They write news headlines that they'd like to see in the news. So yeah, it's, I, I don't know. I think it's kind of, uh, it's, it's become, it pushes me a bit more, which I think is good. And it also pushes the crowd a bit more in terms of what they give me. And in fairness, the crowds, the crowds coming to comedy clubs tend to be smart people uh, for the most part. And so, yeah, grabbing those like fictional newspaper headlines, you tend to get some stuff that you're like, oh, straight up. I don't have to do much of this. There's already good amount of fun, playful, silly stuff in this uh, for me to kind of turn into a verse. This is the voice of Rob Broderick here on the Peter Greenwood Show. Rob, in our remaining moments, where can people find out about you on the internets? Uh, so, abandonman.com is my website. However, having shouted that out at uh, hundreds of comedy clubs around the country, I realize that people never know how to spell it. So, if you go to irishrapper.com, it will take you to all the touring dates and kind of details for, for everything for the next couple of months. And you're also on Twitter at abandonman? Yes, that's right. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook at abandonman. And- um, but, like I said, Irish, irishrapper.com gets you links to everywhere. That's the easiest one. Yes, just go to irishrapper.com and find out more about Rob. He will be performing in the stand in Glasgow on the 24th of October. Rob, I cannot thank you enough for your time today, sir. Thank you so much for coming Absolute on. pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it, Peter. Cheers. And that's where I'll cut it. Thank you so much for that, Rob. That was you amazing. You are an absolute gent. Thank you so much, Peter. I really appreciate it. Anytime, sir. Did we cover everything you wanted to? Is that all okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely brilliant. As I said in part one and part two, this is unreleased bits, things you may not have heard, things from the cutting room floor, and that's why the interviews are so long, why you hear the prep while we're setting up. Sometimes you even hear the, hear the phone dial. But sometimes there are things which... I just don't release, or just don't put on air. Because they're kind of disappointing, or they don't work out the right way, or sometimes because they're legally not cleared to go on air. But sometimes things leak, you know? Like, uh, going back a few years, there was a massive leak at Sony Pictures, there's been leaks of various set photos, various songs from various different things, so... 
It's not uncommon for something to leak online. Oh, oh dear, here's a leak. Okay, so here we are. This is the Peter Greenwood Show. How are we doing out there? And if you were listening before the break, what happened is, is that I was doing a story in the fails about a lady who was trying to take on an emotional support squirrel onto an airline. And so what I thought I would do is I thought I would phone the airline and ask them about it. So we are trying to get hold of... What's his name? Jonathan Freed is who we're looking for. So let's, let's dial them up. This is real. This is really happening. So, here we go. Let's see what happens. Thank you for contacting the Frontier Airlines Media Relations Team. This mailbox is for active members of the media only. Please leave your name, organization, and contact information, and a member from our team will contact you shortly. You can also reach us by emailing media at flyfrontier.com. Record your message after the tone. When you've finished, you can hang up or press 1 for more options. Aw, man. Whoops, that recorded me saying, oh man. Okay, so that didn't work, so we're going to try a different number here. That was for media, obviously. So we will try to, co- let's see, looking through the website, who else do we have here? Let's call customer relations, shall we say? Let's try that. Okay. Hello. Welcome to Frontier Airlines. How can I help you? For example, you can say flight status, manage reservation, baggage, book a flight, frequent flyer, website support, frequently asked questions, or feedback. To hear these options again, say repeat. Feedback. Okay, feedback or concern. Please tell me when you are traveling. You can say traveling today, upcoming travel, or completed travel. You can also say repeat, previous menu, or main menu. Uh, never. Let's try that. Sorry, that was not a valid response. Okay, feedback. Sorry, that was not a valid response. Feedback or concern. Please tell me when you are traveling. Back. If traveling today, press 1. Back. For upcoming travel, press 2. For completed travel, press 3. To repeat these options, press the star key. To return to the previous menu, press 0. To return to... For website and password support, press 1. For frequently asked questions, press 2. Customer services. feedback or voice a concern... Press 3. To repeat these options, press the star key. To return to the main menu, press the pound key. Customer services. Sorry, that was not a valid response. For website and password support, press 1. For frequently asked questions, press 2. To provide feedback or voice a concern, press 3. To repeat feedback or concern. Yes. Please tell me when you are traveling. If traveling today, we'll press today. 1. Today. For upcoming travel, today, press today, 2. Today, today, today. For completed travel, press... Thank you. Please hold while I transfer you to a Frontier representative for assistance. Oh, about time. This call may be monitored or recorded for quality purposes. You don't say. Now, 
Before I connect you with a live agent, I'd like to invite you to participate in the survey after your call today. We value your opinion and appreciate your time, so we'll keep the questions short and sweet. If you're interested, press 1 now, and we'll automatically route your call to the survey after you've spoken with our agent. Otherwise, please hold while I connect your call to the next available agent. Thanks. Leon, how may I help you? Oh, hi there. Uh, my name is Peter Greenwood. I'm calling from a radio station in the United Kingdom, and I was wondering if it would be possible to speak to Jonathan Freed, who's the Director of Corporate Communications, please. Um, yes, of course. Can you repeat your question again, please? Uh, yep. Could I speak to... I'm trying to get a hold of Jonathan Freed, who is the Director of Corporate Communications. Okay, so, yes, give me one second. Um, I'm going to place you in hold, so please don't hang up, okay? Thank you. Thank you. Um, okay, sir, thank you so much for waiting. Hello. So, um, in that case, I have to transfer you, so uh, that process is going to take a couple of minutes. Okay. So, if you want, uh, you can wait until that I, I complete the transfers, okay? So, please don't hang up. Okay, thank you very much. You're very welcome. So... This right here, okay. Hello? Hello. Hello there, I'm trying to get hold of Jonathan Freed. Of who? Jonathan Freed, he is the Director of Corporate Communications. Jonathan? Yeah. Um, what is this in regards to you? Sorry. Sorry, my name is Peter Greenwood, I do a radio show in the United Kingdom, and I saw a story in the news that I wanted to speak to him about. Oh, uh, we're... Oh, hold on. Give me a second. Okay. Hello? Hello there. Okay, sir, um, I'm going to need a little bit more information from you. Okay. Because um, I'm the customer relations department team, and so, like, we don't necessarily, like, give out, like, information regarding that. So, what do you, like, what specifically, like, do you have, like, a reservation code or anything like that? No, what it is is I saw a story in the news, and I talked about it on the show, of uh, a lady who took an emotional support squirrel on a Frontier Airlines flight, and I was wanting to speak to Jonathan Freed, because he's the fellow quoted in the interview, he's the director of corporate communications, and I wanted to speak to him to ask him about it. Um, I can see if the person is here, but if not, I can't just give you information about that because that's, like, private information, you know? Okay. Um, so I do not see a Jonathan... You said Jonathan Freed? Jonathan Freed, F-R-E-E-D. It says he is the director of corporate communications. Okay, hello. Hello there. We so this is we're the customer relations department, so we handle like a lot of like all the complaints with Frontier. So I don't have anybody by that name here. Okay. Um, in the corporate office, yeah. Uh, I'm not sure who else I'd speak to. Uh, um. I mean, and then we're also, we're not allowed to give out, like, any information regarding, like, passengers or even, like, the person you're requesting is not in this office. So, I'm assuming that 
somebody in res before they transferred you over to me. I'm assuming that they gave they were the ones that provided you the information or something like that. But like I said, I don't have anybody by that name. Well, I what it is is I do a segment on the show. Uh where I talk about news from around the world, and this story popped up about a lady who had an emotional support squirrel, and they, and I wanted to ask about it. Because an emotional support squirrel isn't a typical emotional support animal, I would say. Say that one more time. I, I said there's a lady... The story is, is that there was a lady who had an emotional support squirrel, and I said that a squirrel is not a typical emotional support animal, so I wanted to ask somebody at Frontier Airlines about it. Um, okay. Okay, um, sorry, I was speaking with my, with my supervisor on this. Um, he said we're not allowed to give out any information regarding, um, the lady on the airplane or regarding the emotional support animal. That's like, classified information if you want like further information you can go on our frontier website and look up the emotional support animal um policy but other than that i can't give you like any information specifically regarding a passenger or regarding a person that the person that you're quite you're asking for jonathan freed well I've, I've got a quote here from jonathan he says rodents including squirrels are not allowed on frontier flights um Okay. I don't have anybody by the name of that that name. By Jonathan Freed, I think. Is yeah. that what you said? Yeah. F-R-E-E. I mean, I found this story on the Associated Press. Yeah, I mean, I don't have... That's okay. It's okay if you can't find him. I just thought it might be interesting to phone him and ask him about, about the squirrel. Okay. All right, have a good one. Okay, thank you very much. Bye-bye. Wow, okay. So after all that, nothing came of it. I don't know who you are, Jonathan Freed, but you're a fraud. Freed fraud! Stay with us, won't you? So much show still ahead. November was an interesting time, and I'll tell you for why. Because I went to the theatre to see Nativity the Musical. And Nativity of the Musical have a role of somebody called the producer, the Hollywood producer, I believe it might be. And the role of a producer changes depending on who's doing it and where they are. Like in L- London recently, it was Danny Dyer. Don't hold that against them, though. Uh, in Edinburgh, it was Joe Brand. And in Glasgow, it was Jane McCary from Still Game. You may know her better as Isa from Still Game, but she was in the theatre show, and I interviewed her about Nativity the Musical. Hello, Nativity Company office. Hi there, uh, this is Peter Greenwood. I'm calling to speak to Jane. Perfect, I shall hand you over now. Perfect, thank you. Hi, Peter. Hi, Jane, how are you? I'm very well, thanks. How are you doing? I'm good. It's a bit of an awful day here, but, you know, we do what we can. It's Scotland. (laughs) (laughs) 
It certainly is. I know I've got a line that says it's freezing here, and of course it's set in Coventry. This show, it's not set in Scotland, but I thought, well, certainly I can speak that line with great truth. <laughs> yeah, there is truth in that art. You can project yeah. that line. Although I used to have family in Coventry, and I can confirm Coventry is freezing. So you're not lying. Uh. Well, I actually wanted to change its reason to its pissing at Dune, but I wasn't allowed. You <laughs> <laughs> felt that was inappropriate for children. Well, that being said, why. when you're on stage, they can't stop you. So, you know. Well, that's true. Just I'm a loose cannon. I can do what I like. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sitting next to James, who's the company manager, and I can see the sweat running down his face. <laughs> Is he just slowly shaking his head like, no. Like, oh, no. <laughs> What's this one getting there? <laughs> so, I'm... So I'll just begin, if you're ready. That's lovely. Okay. The voice you're hearing will be familiar to you. This is the voice of Jane McCarran, who many of you will know as Isa from Still Game, but she is here to talk about a very special thing she's doing. She's in Nativity of the Musical, which is playing at the King's Theatre from Wednesday until this Sunday. Jane, how are you today? Oh, very well. I'm, I'm excited and I'm terrified, <laughs> but I can't wait for tonight. This isn't the first time you've done theatre, though. Like, is it? No, 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 no. I've done loads and loads of theatre actually, and the Kings is one of my favourite places actually uh, to play. I, I love the crew backstage. I love the people in the stage door, the people in the office, and um, I, I love this theatre. I'm very comfortable here. But uh, yeah, so uh, yeah, I'm used to doing theatre. It's com- completely different to telly but it's you know it's live so anything can happen but that makes it all the more exciting does it feel like coming home when you get to go back to theater and do things on stage as opposed to television well to be honest we when you're filming something like still game it's a few months out of your year so already this year i did i did tour a show for four months and uh, after another theater stuff this year and and telly so you know it's a crossover all the time isn't it as an actor you, you know you jump in and out of anything really um all different things there's a wee bit of radio telly theater it's a whole mix and i would like to let's let's talk a little bit about nativity what was the process like from the audition stage to actually getting to be in it and how did that feel when you got that phone call saying yes you're in well, it's a bit strange, actually, because uh, I didn't audition, which is very rare, because normally really? you always do. But, yeah, the, the part I'm playing, it's like just a cameo part, but it's obviously quite an important part in the show. It's a Hollywood producer, and, and you know, um, I don't know if you've seen the film, but the film is mm-hmm. fantastic, and I love the film. My friend and I used to watch it every Christmas together. So when they, they said to me, would you like to play this week part and just drop in in Glasgow and do this one week, um Obviously, you're not rehearsing with the cast, so you don't get to know people. So it's like it's a completely new experience for me to do something like this. And I did feel scared, but you've got to feel the fear and do it anyway, haven't you? Yeah. And then I went to see it last week in, down in Liverpool. And I'm not just saying this because I know it's easy to see. And I know when people are in a show, they always see it. But I've told all my friends I was blown away by this show. The whole audience were standing up on their feet. Kids were screaming. Everybody around about me was going, that was amazing. The cast that it's standing, the set, the music. I'm honestly, I am, I, I'm not a person. See, if I was in this and it was rotten, I'd be like, yes, yeah, it's really, 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 really good. <laughs> I'm a worst liar. But this I've is a good show everyone, to come and yeah. see. Oh, it's, it's a huge, it's a big West End production. You feel like 
oh, it's just so special. And I've just said that to the director. Actually, I feel like I'm going to get fun out now. Because <laughs> <laughs> I feel like, oh, no, this is the big time. And all these people are absolutely amazing. Um, and I'm dropping in. But, no, I'm so proud to be part of it. It's just breathtaking. I, I can see this, and I honestly, with my hand and my heart, this is the best thing I have seen on stage in many, many years. That is I'm quite honestly, a thing to say. Yeah, yeah honestly, honestly, I've told everybody I know to come. I said, do not miss this show if you have, even if you've not got kids, but especially if you've got kids, don't miss it. The energy and the feeling of joy, and oh, you just feel elated when it's when it's over. It's really emotional, actually. It's it's, it's a wonderful show, and I'm not bumming because. I, I could be really rotten, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm not taking any credit for, for anything, uh, but but what I saw last week in Liverpool was just outstanding. And had you already accepted the role before you'd seen it, or was that part of the condition of seeing it? No, no, I did simply because I, I knew from other actors, people that were in it, and I knew that they were brilliant. I also loved the film, and also because it was coming to Glasgow, and I loved the Kings. I finished a week, another thing just last week that I was doing, and then I start Panto in about a week and a half. So it just fitted in perfectly. And, I, you know, I thought, yeah, that, that would be great. And it's always good to push yourself, do something new, do something. My friend Gavin Mitchell, who's a Bobby Department in, in a Candon Barrett, both of them uh, dropped into Priscilla and did a wee part there. I think oh, that's cool. probably was yeah yeah. I think what they were doing was a lot more than maybe what I'm doing. But they they dropped into that and they both said they were terrified, but they loved it and it was such a brilliant experience. And you know, so I had to do it. <laughs> and I'm sure everybody is glad that you are. What's it been like getting to know the cast and crew backstage? Well, I only met the cast this morning, so um, they, I know, I know, uh, and, and they've just been lovely, really warm. We've had a great fun. Uh, we'll get to, to spend time together today, and and then, you know, over the course of the week, obviously, I'll, I'll get to know them better. But, they, but I've worked with the associate director for the last few days, and he's been fantastic, although we keep telling stories and anecdotes, and then we go, all right, we better work again. <laughs> and then I'm like, well, okay, we'll work in a minute, but can I just tell you this? So uh, we've, we've laughed a lot. That's one of my favourite things about doing theatre or any kind of performance is you just get caught up talking to people and that kind of, for me, creates an, an, a different energy because then you take that into the performance, whatever it is that you're doing. It's like, oh, I know this person, so I can kind of bounce off them a bit. Yeah, well, the cast said, I said to them today, thanks very much for going, going over it with me. And they're like, no, no, we love doing this. And it, because every time there's a new person, it really brings a new dynamic, a fresh energy. It keeps everybody on their toes. And they said, no, no, we, we love it. It's um, Obviously, if they'd had to rehearse with me for days and they've got eight shows a week and it's hard shows, that would be too much. But, you know, because it was just this morning, uh, they said that, you know, it's, it's good for them getting to meet new people. And, yeah, it's great. It's great all round. It's a great idea, actually. I've always wondered, you're, you're speaking to us from the King's Theatre currently as you speak right now. What's it like being inside an empty theatre? I've never been inside an empty theatre and I'm desperate to know what it's like. Is it weird? Creepy? What's it like? Um, well, it's so busy with the crew just now because they're all setting everything up on stage and everybody's milling about. But... I have spent a lot of time in this theatre uh, when it's been quiet and the show's finished and you're maybe getting ready to go out somewhere afterwards. Or um, And it can be creepy. That, um, when we did Panto here a few years ago, I remember one of the actors, we had to cross under the stage and it, he swears that he saw a ghost. He swears that he did. He saw a ghost standing in the corner. 
so um, they were shaking when he came back up. So definitely, it can be really spooky. The Tron Theatre and the Sits in Glasgow are really, really haunted there. You know, um, that would really give you the willies. <laughs> but um, so yeah, but it's just, it's just it's such a lovely atmosphere at the Kings. It really is. I do love I think, the Kings Theatre. It is absolutely stunning. Yeah, I think when the whole team of people make it special, they welcome everybody in, every new production that comes in, everybody feels really welcomed and everybody's kind of fallen over themselves to be helpful and and the audiences are tremendous. You know, I've done a lot of shows at the Kings and when the laughs are coming, it's like you ride the laugh. It's very hard to explain unless you've experienced it, but it it must be, I don't know, like surfing would be where you're just (laughs) bobbing up and down and, and it just just pours onto the stage and I mean it's just it's a feeling like no other really it's wonderful now many people will know you as Isa from Steel Game I mentioned that in your introduction let's because it's all ending soon I know I know it's been a long 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 time um, oh, I can't even, I don't even know how many episodes we've made now. But yeah, I mean, we've all grown up together. We've, oh, oh, it's just, I think I was 31 when I started. I'm 48 now. So there'll be that wee break in the middle. It's been a, mm-hmm. a big, big part of my life. And, you know, the, the boys are boys are a big part of my life too. You know, they're fantastic. But I think you don't out to your welcome. Everything naturally should come to an end. You don't yeah. want it to peter out. You want it to, and episode six is, oh, absolutely you know, it's beautiful. It's the way that it's written. It's just so clever and poignant, and it's just lovely. I, I can't imagine if you ever loved Still Game and you watch episode six and you're no good eating at the end. There's something wrong with you. That's what I'll say. Now I know you can't tell us because it's all very, very strict, and you couldn't even talk about the live show until it was announced, which is going to be at the Hydro. I think it's early next year. It, no, no, it's later next year. Later it's autumn next year. Next year. Yeah, okay. yeah. So that is going to be oh, that'll be hard, really hard because it is live. When we did the last episode, in fact, when we filmed the last scenes, we were emotional. Obviously, when you're filming it, but to actually take the bow on the last night at the hydro in front of like ten thousand people, it'll be oh, I'll be absolutely like a zip zip. I'll be exhausted <laughs> just because it'll be so emotional. Now, I know the last series hasn't even started airing yet. You've still got to think about the Hydro shows. So it's a bit early to ask about her return, but is this definitely it, or is this just another oh, Hydro? definitely. No, 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 really? this is it. It feels like people will know that when they see episode six. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not giving anything away by that because it is so clever, but it's very, very final. Yeah, right, I think. Okay. Yeah, I, th- I think it's very final, and it genuinely... It's the best of my knowledge, but I've spoken to the boys, and, and, and I'm I'm a hundred percent sure that, that this is it, because it's like big kind of goodbye, and it's really this is a thank you to the people that have been so loyal to the show, and it's just I still feel as if I'll always live somewhere. It'll go on. Craig Lang exists, and all these characters exist somewhere. But um, so for me, it will never really end in an imaginary way. <laughs> but yeah, it, it very much it w- will be the end. Seeing as everything's got a spin-off or a sequel or a movie, Isa movie, is that possible? <laughs> I don't think so, no. <laughs> I can't see that happening. This is the voice of Jane McCarran, who is starring in Nativity the Musical, which is playing at the King's Theatre from Wednesday until this Sunday. Go and get your tickets now at the King's website. 
Jane, I can't thank you enough for your time today and for coming and speaking to us. Thank you so much. Not at all. Absolute pleasure, Peter. November brought us Thanksgiving, and in the great spirit of making an absolute fool of myself, I, Peter Greenwood, found what's called the Butterball Turkey Hotline. Basically, if you don't know how to cook a turkey, call the Butterball Hotline and they'll help you through it. Because America. Anyway, this is what happened when I phoned the Butterball Hotline. Butterball Turkey Talk Line. This is Andrea. Can I help you? Hi there. I'm trying to get hold of the media line, please. Oh, you know what? Our media line is a different number. Can I give you that number to call? Uh, yep, sure. Yes, please. Okay. It's... You're welcome. My pleasure. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. Butterball Turkey Talk Line. This is Andrea. Can I help you? Hello there. Uh, we just spoke a second ago. I, I lost the number the second I hung up. I was wondering if you could tell me again, please. Oh, sure. No problem. Butterball Turkey Talk Line. This is Andrea. Can I help you? Uh, hello. I, I think I've gotten through to this number again. My name's Peter. We spoke a little bit ago. I was trying to get through to the media line. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm just having trouble the getting... The number that I gave you, did, did, did the number work that I gave you? Well, it it made a noise like it was uh, busy, but then it just rung me and connected me through here. I just tried it here and it just connected me through to you again. Oh, it does. Yeah, it's a bit well, unusual. Hmm. I wonder if it's because they're closed right now. Oh, are they closed? Oh, that's a... Uh... Yes. Um, you, you could email them if you wanted to at least get your contact information into them. Would you like to do that? Uh, no, it's okay. What it was is I was just hoping to kind of talk to somebody because I work for a radio show, so I was just kind of hoping to talk to somebody about turkeys and butterball and stuff because I'm from the UK and I'm doing a show in America, so it's all kind of new to me. So I'm like, hmm, yeah. what is this? So I just wanted to kind of talk to somebody. But yeah. I, I didn't want to just spring it on you and be like, hi, I'm from the radio. Tell me a thing. So I, I, that's why I wanted to speak to the media channel. Right. Yeah, they they would be happy to set up an interview for you. Um but today is our Thanksgiving day, so I bet that they are closed today, and they might even be closed tomorrow. Okay. Would it be possible for you to call them back on Monday? Uh, well, the show airs tomorrow evening, so it's a bit tight for time. Okay, let me take down some information, and um, I'll see if someone can get back to you. Okay, that's so great. Thank you. Can I take down... Yeah, can I take down um, your name, please? Yep, my name is Peter Greenwood. Okay. Peter, you said? Yes, Peter, yes. And, okay, and a phone number to reach you at? Okay, it'll be a UK number. It is, uh, I think it's plus four four to get through to the UK. Okay, okay. I will pass this number on, and hopefully they can call you and set this up. Okay, that's great. Thank you so much for your help today. You're welcome. Bye-bye now. Thanks, bye. Now, as we all know, Brexit is a completely greasy, nasty horror show, so I wanted to find a brand new home. I phoned Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, U.S. 
President Barack Obama and the Prime Minister of Iceland. Take a listen. An English message will follow. Bonjour, vous avez bien rejoint le bureau de circonscription du très honorable Justin Trudeau, député de Papineau. Vos heures d'ouverture sont du lundi au vendredi de 8h30 à midi et de 13h à 13h30. Veuillez nous laisser un message détaillé incluant votre nom, numéro de téléphone ainsi que la raison de votre appel et nous vous rappellerons dès que possible. Merci. You have reached the writing office of the right honorable Justin Trudeau, member of parliament for Papineau. Our office hours are from 8.30 a.m. to noon and from 1 p.m. to 4.30 p.m. Please leave a detailed message and we will return your call as soon as possible. Thank you. Hello there. My name is Peter Greenwood. I am a radio pre presenter from the United Kingdom and I was hoping to speak to Prime Minister Trudeau about Brexit and the possibility of me emigrating to the United States and if he'd be good enough to you know, hang out and maybe help me get into the country. So if you could call me back, please, on... It'll be a UK number, so... Plus four four. And I'll hopefully hear from somebody soon. Thank you. Bye-bye. Now, after Justin Trudeau, I thought, who's cool? Who would let me crash on their couch, bring pizza? So I thought, President 44, Barack Obama. So I phoned his office. Thank you for calling the Barack Obama Foundation. If you are calling regarding a scheduling request or to request a greeting from President and Mrs. Obama, please visit www.barackobama.com and fill out the appropriate forms. That's www.barackobama.com. For all other inquiries, please leave your name, number, and a brief message. Thank you. Good afternoon. My name is Peter Greenwood and I am calling from the United Kingdom. And I'm going to be honest, I am kind of afraid about the whole Brexit process now that it's actually going ahead. And I was wondering if it'd be okay if I could come over to the United States and maybe just hang out with President and Mrs. Obama just until this thing kind of dies down a bit and the UK comes to its senses. So if you could give me a call back, please, and hopefully we can arrange something. It's a UK number on plus four four. And hopefully I'll speak to somebody soon. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Of course, can I make a point, please, about the guy who thinks it's necessary to tell people how to spell Barack Obama? I mean, it's not as if the dude was president for eight years or anything. I mean, nah. Just, just we'll tell you how to spell his name. It's all good. Don't worry about that. Then I thought, why am I just thinking of the North American continent? There's lots of other countries out there because I've got worth, I've got talent, I've got skill. I can do things. I can use my mouth on people and make them happy. Know what I'm saying? Y'all know what I'm saying. So I thought I would phone the government of Iceland. You have reached the Prime Minister's office. Our opening hours are from 8.30 a.m. to 4.00 p.m., Monday to Friday. They didn't even let me leave a message. How rude is that? Rude out of ten, Iceland. You used to be cool, Iceland. What happened, man? So finally, in my quest to find a new home, I decided to phone Finland. Now, the language barrier is going to be a bit of a di difficulty, but it turns out they speak English as well. Valtioneuvoston vaihdepalvelee arkisin kello 8.16.15. 
Stadsrådets växel är öppet vardagar från klockan 8 till klockan 16.15. State Council's office switchboard is open weekdays from 8 a.m. to 4.15 p.m. And they also seem to be as rude as Iceland. But what I will do is I will try phoning them back and I'll try phoning some different countries next week as well just to see what will happen because I don't want any part of this Brexit nonsense. Nothing to do with me. So I'm trying to find a new home. And if you, th- you, if you have any ideas as to where I should phone, who I should phone, please get in touch with me on the Twitter. At Show is the way to go. P-E-T-G-R-E-S-H-O-W. In December, I was crazy about the release of Scottish zombie musical Anna and the Apocalypse. If you scroll just down a little bit, you can find that special with the writer, the director, and star Sarah Swire. So I'm not going to repeat those interviews except for Sarah, who is my new hero and I adore her. This is what happened when I met Sarah Swire. Good morning, or I suppose good afternoon. Good morning. Is this Sarah, yes? Yes, it's Sarah. Hi there, I'm Peter. How are you? I'm good. Nice to uh, nice to nice to talk to you. Hello. It's lovely to talk to you. I, I just want to check because the email said two thirty UK time, but we we got the translation wrong in Canada, so I know it's nine thirty. Is now a good time to speak or is now okay? Um uh yeah, absolutely. You know what? Why not? I'm already awake. <laughs> oh, good. oh, did I wake you? No, no, no. I've been awake for like an hour, so oh. you got me at like the perfect waking up time. Oh, so I've got you at the point where it's like the brain is starting to kick in and everything's working. I know that. I know that. Yeah. Feeling. Oh, it's the best. Isn't it? This is how I felt all day. <laughs> <laughs> it's just something so nice about it because it's like, okay, now I can function. Now I can answer questions that people have and things like that. Yeah, you're just like in like the neutral neutral brain mode where none of your anxieties come through. It slaps, like it's all fresh for the pick-in opportunity is there in front of you and then you get worried halfway through the day and then you get stressed out. But right now, like, it's good. <laughs> yeah. so, oh, so I just want to check, how long do I have you for today? Because I know you're busy, I know you're doing other things, so I don't want to uh, take up I'm all your day. I'm not sure. What's a, what's, a, what, what's a good time for you? Because I need to um, probably bounce in like, like the next 20, 20 minutes, 25 minutes, if that's, that's chill. That's absolutely perfect. I mean, I, I'm I'm ready to go on whatever your schedule is, so whenever you need to go, just say, okay, shut it, and I'll be quiet Great. and go away. Awesome. Okay, so I'm just going to do some final levels here. Everything looks okay, and I'll just do a quick mark, quick edit point. Oh, give me two seconds. I'm getting a call on the other line. I'm just going to okay. answer that, and okay. then... Uh, and I'll put you on hold and then unhold you. Okay, no worries. Okay, you're back. Hi. Hi. <laughs> Everything okay? Yes. No, I was actually, uh, it's with Ella. Ella Hunt from Anna. Oh. <laughs> I'm trying to get hold of her to interview her as well. So let's do it. Oh, do great. A- <laughs> Hilarious. 
No, we're just all best friends. I think she just got back home, so um, she's just uh, we're gonna have a nice chat. But uh, I'll I'll call her back once I'm haven't done having a nice chat with you. Oh, you're very kind. You're ve- you're very nice. So I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna begin by asking you your name and what you do, please. Sure, awesome. Um, should I answer that now? <laughs> uh, sorry, I, I just make a quick. I'm just oh, sorry. Let me start again. I'll just make a quick edit point and then I'll ask you again. Great, sure. Okay, here we go. Could I ask you your name and who you and what you do, please? Uh, my name is Sarah Slyer, and I am an actress and a choreographer. And you're here because we are talking about Anna and the Apocalypse, in which you play Steph. And you choreographed yeah. as well, which I yeah. didn't realize. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, well. Um, well, yeah, thank you. And it was an absolute blast. Uh, yeah, it was a wild ride. So let's get into the Anna of, the Anna of it all. When did script first cross your path? Um, it, when was it? I think it was... It must have been, like, uh, January of 2017. Um, I was finishing one of, uh, heading towards the end of one of my visas for the UK and uh, moving back to Canada. Um, And I had gotten it just like any other script or any other audition. It wasn't anything fabulous. There's no incredible story behind it. Um, Just another actress trying to to make her way in the world and... um, Try my best during all those self tapes, all those grueling self tapes that um, all us young, aspiring, and exhausted actors love to do. Uh, yeah, and it all just kind of fell together. The idea of a self tape seems absolutely terrifying to me. Um, I mean, it's a funny thing because uh, it is quite fun, depending on who you film it with, and depending what the content of the the script is. Uh, if you make a nice day out of it. And actually, to be fair, I think if you are an actor and you don't often have the opportunity to act um, uh, in a on screen or in a, a stage performance, doing self tapes is kind of like doing homework or just flexing those muscles every once in a while. So your brain's always switched on in that capacity. So I'm not necessarily hostile towards them. But <laughs> uh, I know they're really useful uh, and uh, and can help people like myself, international artists that. Um, hope to keep working in the UK and, and other countries uh, to be able to be seen um, all over the world, which is awesome. Thank God for the internet. It's fantastic. Yeah, well done, well done the internet for existing. Yeah, thanks, man. <laughs> or woman, or <laughs> what, person, thing. Yep, whatever, whatever it chooses to be. Exactly. <laughs> so you sent in the audition tape, and how long was it before you were on set? Because it filmed in January that year, didn't it? Uh, yeah, so I saw it must have been 2016. Um, it, uh, oh my God, time, time moves and shapes us in such a funny way. Uh, it was a, it was a few months after, it was almost a year. Like, I think if I, I auditioned probably in March or Feb or even earlier than that, uh, and ended up, yeah, flying over to Scotland in December that year and shooting, uh, in January. That's wild. <laughs> At what point... <clears throat> excuse me. Let me start again. I'm so sorry. At what point did choreogra- choreography come up? Because you're a musician and a dancer as well, outside before Anna as well. So yeah. how did you say, hey, I've got these skills, and how did you get talked into doing choreography for it as well? Um, my my darling agent, uh, 
fought my corner very hard. Um, but I had also been working in Scotland as a choreographer uh, for primarily music videos for a long time uh, and doing movement direction and some choreography for stage. So I was quite familiar with um, that territory and with a lot of the independent artists working there. Um, and because of the nature of the film and, and the nature of it obviously being a musical, but the songs not being traditional musical theater songs coming from more of a pop rock background because they're written by the incredibly and insatiably talented uh, Roddy Hart and Tommy Riley, who are both uh, really badass independent songwriters in their own time and space. Uh, and when minds collide, they make really badass independent pop rock songs. Um, so, I mean, that's kind of what I had been doing before. So those, the mashup of that music and the style and the content of the choreography that I've been doing in the past seemed, I guess, to be a good fit. Um, the other incredible cause of it, too, would have to be someone who I don't speak enough of, but I think so very highly of, is uh, a very well-known uh, Scottish choreographer named Emily Jane Boyle, who, if she didn't give me my first fighting chance uh, uh, in a film which was Got Up the Girl or um, allowed me to work alongside her, I wouldn't have had that opportunity to be able to choreograph uh, this film. So I, she is a mentor and a friend, and I owe her so much. Yeah. Awesome woman. <laughs> I I do know the name, but I can't think where I know her name from. Where would I? Where would you recognize her name from? Oh, Emily Jean Boyle has done everything you can possibly imagine. As she's done most stage shows in Scotland, she has. She worked with Matthew Bourne for years as a principal dancer. Um, she used to be the head of uh, the dance department for the musical theater department at the Royal Conservatory of Scotland, which is where I met her. Yeah. Um, yes, she's done everything you've probably just seen her name in every single thing you've gone to see so she's amazing yeah so you're you're, char- you're charged with playing steph and choreographing how did you find steph when she was first presented to you uh it's funny because the characters on paper are intended to exist as kind of uh the archetypal tropes of those high school figures um and then throughout the chaos and the danger that they uh, fight through in the midst of the, the zombie apocalypse, um, you see them grow into into real people, human human beings that you would that would live next door, that you would go to school with, that you would meet in a supermarket, that would be amongst your crowd of friends. Um, but I think for Steph in particular, like it's just being a bit more mindful about um, introducing a, a queer character in a contemporary fashion. I like I know like of myself and my other queer friends, uh, we didn't go <laughs> to high school being outright angry and defiant and, and incredibly out, uh, outspoken off the bat. Like, you learn those skills over time as you build catalysts um, and as you build a, a stronger vocabulary to be able to communicate with everybody despite feeling like you can't always be heard on every platform. Um, so for Steph, like, it's, she's obviously she wants to change the world and she's a, a very young uh, philanthropist, but she's fucking... Excuse me, no F A. Oh, you can swear really, away. I'll edit it. As, I'll I can edit swear. It. Oh, man, she's fucking stressed out and she's so anxious and she's got like extreme emotional neglect from her parents. Like, what a cocktail of trouble. So she's definitely um, not a typical um, in your face, uh, I guess, loud and, and crass. Uh, <laughs> Uh, queer woman she's she's just a young person like everybody else she's going through the exact same trauma her sexual identity does not define her her gender does not define her 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 goals in life are what drive her forward um yeah 
and her, her sense of independence in doing so. That's one of the most amazing things I found about Steph when I was watching the film. And I spoke to Alan about this. And mm-hmm. it's the fact that her sexuality doesn't define her. Like she's not running around going, oh, my girlfriend, this, oh, my girl. She just exists. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's and it's not like people pander to it. And it's not like she has to describe it. And in, in every way does she, and in no way does she have to prove that to anybody, that her love is real for her girlfriend, the same way that her love is real for um, her parents in the same way that her love is real for um, the, these new friends that she has with her. Um, yeah, it, it doesn't need to be uh, it doesn't need to be explained because there's nothing else to explain. It's just a human being existing like everybody else. Yeah, she, she's she's just there trying to survive the apocalypse. That is that yeah. is her life. <laughs> one of my exactly. fa- one of my favorite Steph scenes is it's such a little moment, but it's such a powerful moment to me because we've all had the moment in her. It's in the scene where she's just asked Chris to film the, the soup kitchen, and she's walking mm-hmm. away, and somebody yells, "Oi, Annie Lennox!" and chucks something at her, and <laughs> there's such quiet dignity in a way she just keeps going because we've all had that experience of somebody being a dick to us and it's like Steph just managed to rise above it which was such a a nice moment for me I'm like oh she she gets it because we've all had that happen Mm, yeah it's like it's like um that beautiful and and sentiment that um thing that I, I suppose keeps getting and, and, and it's so necessary to keep reiterating to anybody who's going through a difficult time, but like it gets better. And I, I do think that she's one of those people who, who that kind of mantra is ticking away in the back of her head that it gets better. This will get better. Things will get easier. This time will pass and I will be able to be the person and live with the people that I want to live with. Um, even like outside of all of the um, undead insanity, that is something I think that just keeps her going. Um and yeah, it's, it's cool to see someone struggling with that. And obviously we all know people like even like ourselves who struggle with that. Um, but to be able to watch someone put the hood up, put the skin on, take it and go, you know what? It means nothing to me because in years this will mean nothing to you as well. Um, and I think she's from a, I think she's remarkable for that. I absolutely agree. I want to ask about the filming of the film because mm. I actually live in Greenock. <laughs> I live... <laughs> Like <laughs> literally right down the street because I understand that you. Oh, sorry, you okay? I'm just joking on my coffee. <laughs> sorry, <laughs> it's it's okay. <coughs> so strong, it's like jet fuel. Ah, whatever. Yeah, continue. Greenwood. Yeah, exactly. I understand that you lived in the halls of residence, which is actually and down the street. Mm-hmm. There's a scene in the film where Anna and uh, Malcolm's character, Anna and John, are standing by a Christmas tree and it's on fire. That is right down the road from me. <laughs> like, I, I awesome. tweeted Anna and the, the, Anna and the Ap- Apocalypse Twitter account, a picture of it now is like, oh, look, here, here's the thing in the film. But the reason <laughs> I mention that is because it's January in Greenock and you're mm. basically wearing a school uniform. What was filming yeah. like, shall we say? It was cold. It was very cold. I don't think, I mean, it's one of those things where you can, you can get a little bit miffed about it, but there's nothing to be upset about. We were getting, we we're making a badass film with really cool people. Everybody always showed up in really good warm gear, except myself, because I'm an idiot. <laughs> 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 and like, I have to, so I've just got this like thing where like, if I really want to work hard, I have to like, I have to dress for it. Like I have to wear like a, 
like a work cost, like as a choreographer, as a, as an actor, of course, the costume's given to you, but as a choreographer, like everyone's wearing really smart thermal layers and jackets and mitts and boots and hats. I'm wearing like dungarees and like Converse and like fingerless gloves, <laughs> and like no hat and just shivering. Um, but um, in, in terms of shooting, like definitely chilly, but like um, at least we weren't afraid of one another. At least we had each other to, to keep us warm uh, you know, with hugs and in the car and with like thermal hand warmers, but also with just with like spirit and malarkey and, and, and ruckus and uh, shooting was just as fun as all the fun that we had offset in between takes. So it really didn't feel as cold as it did. If that is not the most cliched, like wanky response, but God damn it, it's true. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I've heard from everybody who I've spoken to. Like I've spoken to Alan McDonald, the writer, and John McPhail, the director. And he just says being on... Yeah, and they both that. said that being on set was just the most fun, amazing experience. Like yeah. they, they talked about watching you all become friends and they talked about how Aww. you all almost kind of regressed back to school children because you were in an empty school <laughs> wearing school uniform and <laughs> at certain points you'd go off into different groups like yeah sit and talk what was that i know i know you probably can't tell me stories from on set but what was it like being on set getting to know this cast man like the greatest experience of my life it's the cast and beyond the cast like these people i'm gonna have with me for the rest of my life like i don't i don't know i don't know what i do without them at this point um it's awesome like and I agree, the school was such a remarkable thing because the school wasn't just, like, where we shot and where the green room was. Like, it was the office for Blazing Griffin and for the art department and um, for uh, all of the cinematography crew, for the sound, for lighting. Like, everyone functioned out of that school. So everybody, a part of... There was no one separate. There was no separate unit. There was no separate building. We all came to the school every day. We worked in the school, and it was so smart and so... I mean, whether it was planned or happenstantial, like, it couldn't have gone better. Um, yeah, we just had so we just played around. We had so much fun. We made up games. We shot silly videos. We we rapped a lot, which I, I mean, that's really hard to articulate how that began. But, like, yeah, just fun around every corner. <laughs> Please tell me there's videos of rapping. Yeah, I don't know if I'll ever see the light of day because oh. we're, all, we're all awful at it. Um, but maybe in like 20 years time we'll just hang them up yeah for the 20th anniversary blu-ray or whatever blu-ray is in 20 years time i would like to ask as well about the choreography because you choreograph the dance numbers which i'm desperate to ask you about but the extras as well Mm. did you because you did body movement as well did you help choreograph the zombie movements and the zombie performances yeah so we and john and i talked um for quite a bit about what kind of zombies we wanted and I of course the discussions went up the up the ladder and every everybody had a say but it all kind of boiled down to classic zombie not too fast maybe somewhere faster because they were more athletically inclined when they were alive but ultimately like you know slowly decaying bodies realistically how would slowly decaying bodies move um and just kind of building a unique process in which people could figure that out for themselves because there are so many extras coming to do this film and a lot of them are doing it for no money or for free, just out of the love in their hearts. So if you're, you can't make it fun, then what's the point? Um, and I think the same thing with the choreography too is that so many people came and did this film because they wanted to be a part of it and because they knew Ryan McKinley or they 
news, any uh, other people in the cast, do they just like the concept of it? So, you know, as a choreographer, I'm not going to come out and give people things that don't feel comfortable in their body and they don't want to do because if people don't look like they're having fun, if people don't look like, if people don't feel like they're, they're competent enough, then that comes across and that's hurt, that's hurtful and it's for them and for the whole experience. So, uh, the back of my head the whole time was just like, how do I do this so everybody has a good time? <laughs> <laughs> there is a video on your Instagram. I think it's in the, in fact, it isn't the school canteen. It's of you kind of going through the steps of Hollywood mm. ending. What was mm-hmm. the most difficult number to put together? Which is also a little. Uh, oh, can I word this again in a better way, please? I'm so sorry. Right. Uh. There's a video online on your Instagram of you kind of walking through the moves of what looks like Hollywood ending, and that that ties nicely into a listener question. What was the most difficult number to choreograph in the film? Um, Hollywood ending was not necessarily difficult because I had already drawn like like kind of like a comic book, everything that I wanted to be in that um, sequence, and then the only thing that was difficult about it, which I suppose you have found, <laughs> um, was uh, that in terms of we'd had no time to rehearse, uh, which is kind of the bare bones of it because it's an indie budget film. It means there's not a lot of time. Um, so one has to be very mindful about what uh, I myself as a choreographer am able to teach to people in a very short window of time and what people from varying levels of movement background being non-movers completely uncoordinated from limb to limb to train dancers like what can everybody do and what can everybody feel good doing what can everybody look good doing and um, so I spent a lot of time like two like a week before uh Christmas in the canteen by myself uh dancing out all of the bits and then filming them and then stitching them together and like this like really sad uh like one man flash mob sequence and then sending it off to everybody and being like this is what you may do um and then but in terms of difficulty like the um give them a show at the very end uh which i worked in close companionship with with emma claire brightland who is the incredible uh fight director um, uh, fight coordinator for the film who also happens to be my roommate now in toronto um we are just very good friends and uh because it was it which was so complicated because of the massive bodies for the fight angles that we needed to hit for the uh, timing for the movement sequences. So yeah, it was a, that in terms of being grueling and needing to have the most payoff uh, was definitely the most difficult. So who was, I know you're, you're probably not going to answer this, but who was the best and also the worst dancer among the cast? I'm not. I can't answer that. That's not fair. <laughs> no. I think what I can say is that I've seen everybody move so much now, and uh, Malcolm's very good at doing, like, impressions of people, which uh, which is fun to do, and just cheer him on and be like, do me. It's like, pretend to be me. But I've, I um, have everybody's, including the producers and the composers, like, the way they dance down to like a science and one day I will show them all. <laughs> I can like imitate them really well. So, but I don't think anyone's bad. Everybody's just got different bodies. Everybody moves in different ways. That's a very um, diplomatic and, answer. But it's true. And, and I mean like, and that's what adds to every character, right? So if I had a different 
way of moving, then my character would be different. The way that you move affects the way that you think, affects the way that you behave. Um, so, uh, and in that light, uh, and this film being a, a massively character-driven film, um, working with everyone's bodies and giving them movements or, um, and having dialogue about the movement that they want to do, about what expresses their character the best and what uh, reflects them best as uh, people can, who can articulate, artic- articulate a story through dance. Um, yeah, that was lots of fun to do. I know we've got to let you go soon, but what memories of Anna will you take away? What memories of Anna will I take away? I, uh, uh, all of it, I'm still reveling in it every day. I Now I'm very grateful that I get to make new memories with these incredible people and make new silly stories and have new silly anecdotes. Um, but in terms of everything, like I'm just so grateful now that I have a family that I can trust for everything. I have uh, open, I feel like I'm welcomed with open arms every time I go back to that, to the Blazing Griffin office and steal their coffee and sit in their kitchen. And I um, will never forget the whole thing. Like it, it's really hard to pin down one thing. It's just every, every person, every person was the highlight of this whole production. And we're going to end with a song here. What was your favorite song on the soundtrack? My favorite song on the soundtrack uh, is, well, I mean, the fish rap is great and uh, is difficult to explain to people when uh, I sing it for no reason. Um, But I really liked, other than all of it, uh, the What a Time to Be Alive, the orchestral version that was included on the trailer. Um, It's just, it's intense. It's awesome. It's great. It's such a ridiculous, over-the-top, well-made song, and I don't think it gets enough play. So I'm going to talk about it so it does. And that's what we'll play. We will play that. Thank you very much for your time today, Sarah. (laughs) Thank you so much. This is so lovely. It's a great way to start my day. And that's where I'll cut it. Thank you so much for your time today. Before I go, I I mean, my favourite song on the soundtrack is Breakaway and your your (laughs) verses specifically and i was like when is she going to get an album please tell me that in the next six months you're going to release a proper full-on rock album because i just need that in my life (laughs) i'm gonna try to do it this year that's my plan so really i've been recording yeah i've been recording music for years and years and years and but i mean like diy i've got songs that are um uh sound engineers but you know again like we're all just doing it out of our basements and in our, ba- and in our bathrooms. Anywhere with acoustics or, like, you know, whatever acoustics you need. Um, so it's it's in the works. I've got, like, a whole canteen of songs to, to do with. So I'm going to see what I can whip together before the year's over and hopefully have something on Spotify. So there you go! <laughs> <laughs> I will be sure to follow you on Spotify when you put it up. And I, I can't thank you enough for your time today. I really do love the film, like... I've been oh, following it you. since its production because it was filmed in Greenock, so I heard about it. I'm like, oh. zombie Scottish musical. I need that. So I've been following it all through its production, all through its release, and to speak to you has been absolutely fantastic. I can't thank you enough for your time today. Ah, oh, Thank you so much. This has been such a nice morning, and you're so lovely, and I hope, I wish the best for you and everything. This has been such a lovely chat. Thank you for everything. Oh, Thank you so much, and say hi to Ella for me next time she calls. I will, I will, for sure. Thanks. Have a great day, Sarah. You too. Take care. Bye. Bye. And that, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, brings us to a close 
for 2018 and this 2018 roundup. I thank you very much for your time and your patience through sticking through all three parts. I'll be back in 2019 with some new shows, some brand new guests, a couple of returning ones. I'm not going to say who yet, but, you know, it's going to be worth your time listening. I thank you very much, because without you, there is no show. This is nothing without you guys, so... I would also like to say a very special thank you to the Peters from the Multiverse, who were Liz, who were Stu, who were Rachel, and Mark. They are all very dear friends to me, and they were the Peters from the Multiverse that you heard throughout the show. So, thank you for listening, thank you for tuning in, and I wish you all a very happy, very merry, and very joyful 2019. Until next year, my name is Peter Greenwood. Bye, everybody. Bye!